Self-discipline is how you access freedom. People tend to think of freedom as freedom to just do whatever you want. Anything goes, right? No. Freedom comes from self-control. Catherine, in today's society, do we have true freedom of speech? Oh, uh, no, not at all. Um, in fact, there seems to be less now than there was, say, 10 years ago, um, which is, you know, a short period of time. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think there is ever freedom of speech because and to some extent, I think that's a good thing in that you don't want to be able to run into a cinema and call fire, you know, that would be wrong. Uh, so there is some speech that is wrong. The question is which speech. So I don't agree, even though I consider myself of the right and so on is what I would say. I'm on, you know, I'm a conservative. Um, I don't agree with what the right say when they say we just need to have absolute freedom of speech because there are some uh, some speech that is just wrong. The question is, which speech is it? Mm. And these days uh, we are preventing um, speech that used to be perfectly normal. Um, and I don't mean speech that was around 70 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago. Uh, and we don't allow for clumsy speech. So what I mean by that is, uh, take the example of what recently happened at the palace with Ngozi Fulani and uh, Lady Hussey. Uh, Lady Hussey was asking, I presume about her background, when she was saying, um, where are you from? And where are you really from? I doubt what she was saying was, you're black, so you can't be British and get out of my country. I, I don't think that's what she was saying. Now maybe that's what she was saying. And the thing is, we'll never know. And the reason we'll never know is because we never asked her, right? We heard her say, where are you from? Where are you really from? And we made an assumption, which was that she believes that black people cannot be British. And so we won't even allow for clumsy speech, you know, because I presume that's what she meant was, where's your heritage from, right? And if she were not 83, if she were a little bit more adept to their language, she would have said, where's your heritage from instead of where are you from? And then she just got cancelled. Boom. And that I've been cancelled. You know, a number of people have been cancelled just for saying something that other people think is, is unacceptable. I was cancelled for getting up at the Conservative Party conference in 2010 and saying that the school system was broken. And... I gave a speech, I mean, it wasn't just that. I, I gave a speech about the various ways in which, why I thought it was broken. I think specifically I said so at the Conservative Party conference, and that was simply unacceptable. It was deemed unacceptable by the education establishment, and so they kicked me out. And I was told, essentially, it'd be impossible to find another job in uh, the state sector again, or at least for a few years. They said, headhunter said, you know, if you just let the Ferrari die down, you might, in the end, be able to get back into the system. Um, and I thought, to hell with that, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And I set up my own school. But um, yeah, it's it's a complex one because then you say, well, what, which speech shouldn't be allowed? Which speech is hugely problematic? And that's that's where the difficulties lie. Mm. You know? And also maybe who's controlling and making the rules of the game because you had the education system, you've got Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, you've got powers that be that are higher than that because YouTube can just shut you down just like that and they 
don't even have to give you a reason why. Yeah. And that they're not really exactly. policed by anyone above them. Yes. So how do we get to this point where what is free speech and what isn't is clear and fair? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's the thing. So, like, if I think about it at school, there's all sorts of speech that we wouldn't allow. We wouldn't allow a kid to insult another kid, um, to call them names and so on. That kind of speech is not allowed. <laughs> so it's who decides and what values make those decisions. And that's the difficulty I think um, you see very clearly in the in the division in America, but I think the division happens here as well, but it's very clear in America, where the two sides have such different values that they can't agree. There's nothing so, you know, people who are on the left, the Fulani thing, they'll say, but what this woman said was simply unacceptable. I've been asked hundreds of times in my lifetime where I'm from. I always take it you know, as a, meaning that you want to know what my heritage is from. And so I just say, well, my parents are from the Caribbean. And then they go, oh, right. They don't say, and don't call yourself British. <laughs> like, because that, mm. that's not what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose I'm more generous in my interpretation of that person. Mm. And the problem, whenever, when, when I've spoken to people who take the opposite view and say, no, 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 she's a racist, um, their position is that, uh, those sorts of people are racist. Let's think about who she is. Let's think about who her people are. And I always think, I think maybe you're the racist, mm. <laughs> is what I think. Because that kind of talk, well, mm. you're, you're judging her by her people, mm. <laughs> as opposed to she's an individual and she's 83 years old. So maybe she's just made a mistake in the way that she's speaking. And, mm. you know, and, and we've got a misunderstanding here. And so the values are different. My values in that moment are, I need to have respect for an 83-year-old woman. I need to have some compassion for her. I don't want a society where we're going to hound 83-year-old women and fire them and treat them like pariahs. Their values are, anything that signifies any little bit of racism at all is abhorrent, and we must stamp that out. Because my position is, even if this woman thought, oh, I don't think you can be British and be black, I would just say to her, well, you know what? I think you can be. And mm. I'd have that conversation with her. Uh, others, their values are different. Mm. And that, that's where that distinction is. And as you say, then there are platforms that have serious power that think in that fashion. And the problem that those of us who are more conservative have is that we can see things moving in a particular direction that culturally and that so many people are buying into. And they're not buying into it because they necessarily believe it. They're buying into it because they feel they have to believe in it. So um, there's this book over there on my desk. Uh, it says this book is if you should, that yeah, one there. Yeah, this book is anti-racist. Yeah, yeah, you see that one? No, just just no. The colourful one, Harry Black. There, there you go. If you just hand it to me. So this book, this book is anti-racist for your viewers. Um, now it's really interesting because we use a company that sends us books for the library, you know, we buy books from a distributor that gives us, you know, that supplies books for for schools. Uh, we bought our books. They sent this book for free with the, the order. They'll be sending this book for free with their orders everywhere. Now, if I were a white head teacher, I would receive this book and think, oh, well, I'm white. I don't know. Who am I? What are my social identities? What is race? What is racism? Oh, gosh, I need to think about my ethnic minority kids. Let me go and get loads of copies and give them to my kids. That's what I would think. And um, 
and in fact, uh, you know, uh, I just had some guests into the school and they saw this on my desk and they said, oh, this is, this is a set reading book at one of these schools that they know, you know, where every kid has to read it. Now, the thing is, I um, don't, uh, see, I read that and because I know a lot about race and because I'm confident when it comes to race, I'm able to go, well, what a load of rubbish. This is ridiculous, <laughs> right? Um, what, what's ridiculous about it? What's, okay. Um, so what's ridiculous about it is that it's look and listen for the microaggressions around you. Write them down and note your observations. So where are you from is considered to be a microaggression. And it's making that misspeak something that uh, you should cancel someone for. It's unacceptable. And it, it needs to be stamped out. Uh, and I just think that's wrong. It's wrong to treat people like that. I misspeak all the time. Um, all of us do. But then there's certain things that you're not allowed to misspeak about. And um, this, the, the whole anti-racism uh, project um, is, uh, is, is questionable. The idea that you're a racist unless you're an anti-racist. Because if you buy into this anti-racism project, um, you have to be thinking about race all the time. You know, my kids aren't thinking about race all the time here. They're, they're friends with all kinds of different people. They're, they're able to learn history and geography and maths and English and, mm. and just be kids and have a nice time. We're not constantly talking about race. Neither are we talking about sexuality all the time, uh, w w mental health all the time. We're, we're, and that's not to say that these issues aren't issues. But we're not letting it dominate the conversation. And that's the problem with this stuff, mm. is that it's saying that this is the only thing that's important. And going back to, the, to Lady Hussey, the fact that she's 83 is thrown out the window. Nobody cares. Like, where is your decency? You know, how, where did we get to a point where we're happy to ill-treat old women, right? Now, everybody has an old grandmother you're slightly embarrassed about, right? Everybody says, don't get her talking on such and such. Oh, my goodness. Oh, please, Grandma, please don't say this. That's how it is. Mm. I mean, and so we're a very unforgiving, uh, we're in a very unforgiving space right now. And this is from the people who consider themselves to be tolerant, mm. who consider themselves to be decent and kind and compassionate. Um, and I just think it's a horrible way to bring up children. It's a, it's a horrible space to be in. Uh, where everybody then just knows who their tribe is. Mm. And I'm going to bunker down with my tribe. And um, I'm sticking with them. And whatever they say, I'm going to say, because I need to be in with them. As opposed to actually looking at each individual incident and analyzing it and thinking about it. Mm. And we've lost the ability to think. Is what you've described wokeism? Yeah. Is it wokeism? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I know the left hate it when we use the word woke, but yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think it's interesting that they don't like it when we say woke. But actually, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a way of respecting the left. Rather than just calling it leftism, we call it wokeism. Mm. And when we call it wokeism, we're distinguishing between people who are of the left, <laughs> who are decent, mm. and people who are woke, who are not decent. Because there are people, my own father is a man of the left. He is not woke. <laughs> um, mm. But he would never vote on the right. Uh, he's hypercritical of conservatives. Um, he sort of wonders what on earth happened to his poor daughter, you know. <laughs> um, but he is not woke, you know. Mm. And uh, I actually think it is a form of respect for, for the left. Mm. Um, and us recognizing that there is a, a political paradigm and people can move between, you know, different extremes. But the woke are extremists. You know, what I always say when it comes to race, for instance, is that um, it, it's a circle, 
rather than a line. So what I mean by that is, it's not that you have the good people over here who are anti-racist, and then they get a bit more racist, a bit more racist, and then over here you've got real right-wing skinheads, right? It's not that. It's that you've got the good people, better people at the top who are trying, you know, treat people sensibly and without, you know, prejudice, and then they're coming along, coming along, coming along like this, and then you've got the anti-racists here, and you've got the, the the skinheads here, and they meet up on the other side of the circle. That's how it is. So, you know, when you say what's problematic about this, I think it, you're, you're teaching people to be really racist. That's right. what you're doing. Mm. Do you think maybe people aren't busy enough or working hard enough or doing something meaningful enough? Because I think if you're busy doing something meaningful and worthwhile in life, you haven't got time to comment on everybody else and try and cancel everyone else. You've just got your own mission and vision. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, yeah. I do 16 hour days. I haven't got time yes. to comment on anyone else. <laughs> I just haven't got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a bit of that where we've all maybe locked down, you know, we're a bit more bored, we're a bit more distracted, we need entertaining, we're a bit more emotionally vulnerable. Is yeah. there some merit in that? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, of course, uh, all the BLM marches and so on happened uh, during lockdown times mm. and people were all had been all locked up in their houses. Mm. So then they were out and about and like, rah, 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 we need to do this together. Um, and I think had it happened at a different time, had George Floyd happened at a different time, mm. perhaps that wouldn't have been that same response. And of course, uh, these sorts of movements gather momentum and then people get, you know, get built up with that. Yeah, definitely. I think also it's, it's just social media, how people communicate now. And um, they hide behind anonymous accounts. They can say anything they like and get away with it. They don't have to worry about the normal niceties, like having respect for an 83-year-old woman. Um, and then, I mean, I find it amazing on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter because I like to talk about, uh, I like to promote what works in education and so on. And it's how I get that our, my voice out there to say what works. And um, I'm, I'm always amazed, more recently, at how lacking in compassion people have become. When I was tweeting about Lady Hussey and so on, people would say, well, she's gone, it's done. What's the big deal? I said, what do you mean, what's the big deal? You've ruined this woman's life. Well, she's not, a I was on a radio station, the guy interviewing me said, oh, sorry, <coughs> it's just changed. It's all right. Let me cough while that's happening, I have to hold yes, in my cough. Yes, 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 no, indeed. Um, yeah, uh, what was I saying? Um, uh, yeah, I was on this radio station um, where I was being interviewed about it, and the guy interviewing me said, um, uh, well, she's not exactly going to a food bank, is she? Like, what does that have to do with anything? They, they, they genuinely think that if, you know, when I say she's, her life has been ruined, um, well, what about the respect she has from people? What about her not being able to hold her head up walking down the street anymore? What about her being hounded by people? Like, like does that not mean anything? Um, and I do think that the world of social media has made us loss, lose our, not just our manners, but our sense of humanity towards other human beings. Because people go home and sit on a phone and then behind an anonymous account, that's how they communicate with people. As opposed to having dinner parties, talking to your friends, even just getting on the phone to talk to your friend. People don't do that anymore. They're texting all the time, mm. you know? It puts a barrier up and prevents us from really having compassion. Mm. So do you think the UK is kind of dying? Yes. Well, the West is. 
I mean, I've been going on for years about how it's the end of the West and everybody thinks I'm crazy. Um, but well, I Ray Dalio doesn't. <laughs> he thinks that China's going to become the new superpower. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't. I think it's India. Right. And I think India will be the new superpower because they're having babies. China is not. Yeah. Um, so China's reserve currency is getting bigger. Well, it's not the reserve currency, but its currency is powerful, isn't it? Yeah, but in the long term, you've got to have babies. So one, the West is not having babies. We're not. Nobody's reproducing. Secondly, we are eating ourselves. So the the thing that we are most proud. How do you of, mean eating ourselves? So what we're most proud of is our liberalism, our love of freedom, our you know the freedoms that we have that so many of us, many of the woke, take for granted and presume that this is just how it is everywhere. Mm. It just isn't. You know, the other day I was, I was on the train. I was looking out the window at a, a little town. And there were all these little gardens side by side and how they backed onto each other. And then the houses on the other side. And then there were streets and there were cars parked. And I just thought, that's a miracle. It's a miracle that this is how we live, right? We all just take it for granted. Mm. This is how you do streets. This is how you do cars. This is how you do, no. You know, once upon a time, we were all just killing each other. It's amazing what we've managed to achieve. Mm. And um, so much of that in a culture now where we've got, you know, in the West, where we're able to speak freely, where we have a democracy, where we can say what we want and we don't get put in prison for it. We can wear what we want. We can go to bed with who we want. We can, you know, there's, there's so many countries where you go to bed with the wrong person you're thrown off the top of a building mm. and the police will throw you off the top of the building and then they'll cover it up, you know? But does anybody care about that? No. We're just going around saying, you have a problem if you don't have a pride flag up, you know? Mm. Like, it, it, it's crazy. Um, when I think about all that we've achieved for women in the West, right? Uh, I don't understand how we aren't all just so grateful for living in the West, but also wanting to preserve the West. But when I say it's eating itself, it is because of the freedoms that we've got that the woke are now eating the West mm. and destroying. They're, they're cutting off the branch on which they live. Mm. That, that's, and they don't see it. And they don't see it because, of course, they take it all for granted. Mm. You know, that, that, and it's, they think that's normal. It is not normal. And I also just think a lot of these people would benefit from traveling. You know, mm. go live in a few other countries for a while. See what it's like living in Saudi Arabia. See what it's like living in Zimbabwe. I don't know. Like, go and find out. And then, because the thing is, what they don't understand is, it's all very nice having your ideal, but when you're criticizing anything, you've always got to ask in comparison to what? <laughs> Where is it better? <laughs> what is your comparison? Because their comparison is always to some ideal. Communism is great. It just hasn't been done right yet. Well, funny that, because it's been tried loads and loads of times, so maybe it just doesn't work. But, um, yeah, they're just, they're fooled by, um, by what the ideal is as opposed to what reality is. And that is because they don't actually believe in truth, you know? You, you have to believe in truth. All they care about now is how they feel and how they, what they look like. So I'm going to put, to be an anti-racist, right? I mean, they won't tell you this in this book, but we know, we all know, you're an anti-racist if you put a black box up on Instagram. And if you put a black box in, in, up on Instagram, you're okay. But if you don't, it means you're probably a racist. What kind of insanity is that? Mm. I mean, it's just insane. Um, it's insane. And if anybody for one moment just looked at that and thought, does this make any sense? Then they wouldn't do it. But they can't not do it because otherwise they'll be labeled a racist. So they have to. And we're all caught in this web, right? Where we just can't get out. There's just a few of us saying something 
uh, a few of us who are a bit mad, a bit brave, a bit whatever, I don't know, you know, where we take our life into our own hands and decide to say something. But um, it is, a, yeah, it's a tough fight, you know. The West is going down. I don't think it'll go down in our lifetimes, but at some point, soon after. I always say, in the next, certainly in the next couple hundred years, mm. you know, we're done for. And is that because of the natural evolution of empires? And if you look back through history, that's always happened. Mm. Or can we turn it around and salvage it? And what should we do to turn the economy, the political system and the country around? Yeah. Because uh, even the Roman Empire in the end fell yes, down. And the it. British Empire isn't pretty much nothing anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah. may maybe it's just evolution. That is, that is just what happens. It may be. It, just mm. is, it is just what happens. Um, Great shame, though, because the Western... What can we do then? What can the West do? Well, we need to speak out. All of us need to find the courage to, to speak out. Because I do think that most people realise that a black box on Instagram is a load of nonsense. Mm. Um, I, 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 it's just posturing. It, yeah. Yeah. It, I, surely exactly. it's, ha it's how you live, not what you post on social media. Exactly. That's exactly right, as it is with Lady Hussey. You know, it's how she lived not what she misspoke mm. in, in, a, in a one conversation. Um, but uh, I understand why people don't speak out. I understand why people just want to keep their heads down. I because do. they're scared of being cancelled. They're scared of being cancelled. They're scared of being disliked <coughs> by their friends. They're scared of anyone thinking badly of them. There's nothing worse than for a white person than being called a racist. It's really upsetting for them, you know? And um, they want to avoid that, you know? So I get it. I just feel, I don't know. I don't know how, look, in education, which I'm in, I convince people on what works in education by getting people to come and see my school. And then they buy into that. And I go to conferences and I do my best to try and talk about this anti-woke position that I take. Um, People will run up to me in the street and they'll say, I really like what you say on Twitter, but I'm not telling you who I am. You know, like, <laughs> they're terrified. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, what do we do? Somehow we need to get people to be braver, but it's very hard. Um, look, I always say you never go down without a fight, mm. right? So, and we all want to live lives that are worth living. Um, that's certainly why I fight, because I want to be able to look back at the end of my life and be able to say, I did something, I contributed, I fought for what I believe in, you know? Um, unfortunately, there is a, um, an industry out there, a, a grievance industry, um, a, and also not just a grievance industry when it comes to kind of race or, or, or sexuality and so on. I'm oppressed, this is awful, look at how they're discriminating against me. There's that, but there's also an industry um, uh, a, a drama kind of industry, going to make everything to a big drama. Mm. Everything is, oh my goodness, as opposed to, okay, whatever, they said this. I mean, at the most, get them to apologize, boom, move on. Like, who cares? Why mm. do you have to ruin people's lives? Um, to the point where now it's just normal. That's the thing that Twitter's made me realize. It's just normal to ruin people's lives and for no one to care. I mean, we could get rid of social media, you know? <laughs> Would you then? Yeah. You'd... Well, if, if you ran the country and you no, could, I'm just going to cough <coughs> because social media has done lots of great things as well. Um, it's not all downside, is it? 
Um, I mean, the following you've built and yeah, that's true. the support and that's true. the message that you can get out quicker, quicker than a pigeon. <laughs> that's true. And I mean, one good thing is, you know, in terms of news and so on, you know, you're not just dependent on these news channels and the journalists mm. who interpret everything. You can find out all kinds of things in different, in it, from a mm. dif different point of view. So it's true. There is good to it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Because it's true, I wouldn't want to ban social media. Um, I, I do want to ban social media for kids, you know. I think the way... Up to what age? Maybe 16. So no social media ever? Yeah. Is that not maybe sheltering them from the reality of the world, though? Well, we do. In all kinds of ways, we shelter them from the reality mm. of the world. We don't let them drink alcohol. We don't let them have sex. Mm. We don't let them smoke cigarettes. Mm. We don't let them drive a car. Um, and quite right. <laughs> and you put social media right up with oh, all those things? Oh, definitely. I'd, I'd say it's worse. I'd rather them drink some wine every now and again than, um, and than be on social media. Honestly, I mean, it destroys kids' lives. I mean, uh, they get involved in gangs. They... Um, Girls get... Uh, they take their own life. That happened recently, didn't it? They take their yeah. own lives. They um, pedophiles have access to everything. They know where you live. They know your best friends. They know what you like. They know you go to school. They know your route to school. I mean, uh, there are so many incidents happening all the time to children. And not only that, but they then never learn how to read. They don't, you know... Anybody say, oh, he just didn't like reading. I bet you that kid was given a phone when he was a toddler. You know, a, a book cannot compete with a phone. Honestly, it's, um, it is so destructive. So, yeah, I would definitely ban it for all kids. Um, and my advice to parents is very much uh, don't give your child a smartphone. Don't let them on social media. Um, now, if you want to let them on every now and again on iMessage to send a few messages to their friends and you're watching them, that's okay. But uh, it's also just so, it's a medium that really encourages children to look inward. It's all about them. So the girls are pouting their lips out and their bottoms out and making themselves look like they're 18. And the boys are trying to look hard and cool. Um, and they're not, they, it, it helps them grow up really fast as opposed to just being able to enjoy their childhood. Um, it's so dangerous. Uh, and then people say to me, well, just teach them how to use it properly. They're kids. <laughs> you can teach them all you like. They're still going to do all this nonsense. And then they're going to, the 15 year old girl is going to end up um, with some 25 year old man that she's met and disappearing every night, and her mother's going to say, oh my goodness, what do I do? And then I'll say, I told you, you should listen to me, mm -hmm. and now she's gone, and what do you do? How do you get your kid back? And in fact, what's really interesting at school is that when we say this to parents, and some parents listen to us and don't give the child a smartphone, some parents um, don't listen, give the child a smartphone, the child transforms into something really horrible, we tell them to take the smartphone away, they take the smartphone away, and what they always say is, I've got my I've got my boy back. He's he's back to being his sweet little self. But before he was actually a different person because he was on social media, you know? So I I think we could do a lot for informing parents of the dangers because uh they're just left to it. They're nowhere near as tech savvy as their children are. And um it can really destroy this destroys the, it can destroy the child's life. Mm. Mm. <laughs> My eight-year-old eight and 11-year-old may have no phone when I go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, seriously. Yeah. Listen, and the reason why you should do that, I mean, yes. If, 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 if only that happens from this podcast, I'll feel like I've been successful. Wow. Because I've I, I got a campaign to all parents. Take the phone away, okay? Uh, honestly, because it'll be harder the older they get. So take it away now. Now, if you want, um, you know, you can let them on a computer and you're watching them the whole time block all the adult sites 
But even then, they'll find ways around it. Mm. So you let them on for a small period of time, 15 minutes, fine. Go on, you can iMessage some of your friends, that's fine. Close it down, move on to something else, you know? Yeah. And get them, doing, get them playing instruments. Get them doing some extra maths. Uh, sit down and read a book with them. Because otherwise, you're going to find your kids aren't reading. Of course they're not reading. Much, uh, much more fun to be on a phone. Mm. If their only access to entertainment is a book, though, they're going to sit there and read for hours because that's how they access their entertainment. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you said in 2010 you got cancelled. I find the whole cancelling a paradox because mm. on the one hand, it might have been the best thing that ever happened to your career. Yeah. And can you really cancel anyone? Because if you can't go on Twitter, you can go on Getter. And if you can't go on YouTube, you can go on Rumble. Um, they tried to cancel Joe Rogan, just made him bigger. They tried to cancel Andrew Tate, just made him bigger. And I wonder if actually, if someone gets cancelled, it just makes them bigger. And I wonder if you'd even have this school if you weren't cancelled. What do you think about that? Well, you're naming people there who are very particular types of people, right? So Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan already have, you know, huge followings, are very particular kinds of men who are, um, you know, have a lot. Or Katie Hopkins. Well, and her, one. okay, yeah. particular kinds of people then, yeah. who have serious backbone and who like a fight and are out there. And so cancelling them, yes, ha helps them. It makes yeah. them even bigger, mm. right? Um, but for most people, they're not like that. Uh, for me... So why don't we try and strengthen our own backbone then? Is that not good for us? No, it is. And it's definitely, we try and do that for the children. But I also know that there are lots of people who are just never going to be like Joe Rogan. But, but thank goodness. Yeah. I don't want everybody to be like Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you know, there are different types of people. Mm. Some people but are more maybe shy. They're, maybe they're the kind of people that would never get cancelled because they would never speak out in the first place. Well, you could easily say, where are you from? Where are you really from? And not be somebody, Lady Hussey, I doubt, is, so, is like Joe, Joe Rogan. She's mm. not a Katie Hopkins. No. She's just a woman who misspoke, mm. is my guess, you know. Mm. Um, and there's loads of people like Lady Hussey. Uh, you know, like, the thing is, I do have a lot of backbone, but I don't think I'm like Joe Rogan. Um, and it's true that I've been able to set up the school, but when I was cancelled, it took me three and a half years to get the school off the ground. Um, I struggled financially. I had to write a blog at the Telegraph and I did some journalism, but it wasn't easy for me. Yeah, but that's normal, um, isn't it? You don't get anything handed on a plate. That's normal. If, I mean, to, I was actually thinking on the way down, it's an amazing thing that you've done to build, build your own school. That must have taken years and been loads of hard work. It was never going to be easy, was it? Uh, well, it shouldn't have been what it was. So what I mean by that is most free schools, it take you open it in within a year. Um, you would be in a job while doing this, so you'd have a salary. I spent three and a half years without a salary. That's called being an entrepreneur, so did I. Yes, no, that's true. Mm. Um, and I bet you it's made you stronger. Uh, yes, and you're right that that's what an entrepreneur would do. Um, it's just that teachers aren't normally entrepreneurs. It's not, it's not their character. Mm. So if it's the case that to set up a school like Michaela, you've got to be like you, then nobody's going to set a, sc a school up like Michaela. You know, like, we've but got to recognise... isn't that what you've done? Yeah, I know, but I'm weird. I, you know, like, I suppose I am like Joe Rogan. I'm, I'm a bit... I, I, I'm not typical, you yeah. know? Um, and we can't expect people... It's what I always say about schools. If for a school to run well, you need to have an extraordinary head teacher, well, by definition, we're going to have very few excellent schools, right? Mm. Because most people are not extraordinary. And when I say extraordinary, where they go against the grain where they're going to throw things out of, and say, no, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, and refusing mm. to, to just follow the rules. 
it should be that the system supports most the, the, the schools because otherwise most head teachers are not going to be able to succeed because、mm. most of them are not going to have the backbone to be able to throw everything out, right? So it's the same here.、Uh, it's the same. It's the same with all of this stuff. I mean, is that by design by the system? Well, it's sort of like you know, it's exactly the same as all of the woke stuff around sexuality and race and so on, mental health, etc. Um, we're all caught in a web. The system is caught in a web. It, it, it sort of can't move, and、um, and everybody ends up doing the wrong thing, not wanting to do the wrong thing, but you kind of can't help yourself, right? It, it, it's it's the same with how you run a school.、Uh, you know, having silent corridors that must mean you're really mean. Actually, no, it just works really well, especially when you have an inner city intake and you you want to have order and structure and so on.、Um, like, it's. We're all caught, so the, and we're caught because we don't want to be cancelled, because because it's not just being cancelled, it's also being deemed a bad person. We all want to be good people, and if everybody says you're、do、a bad we, person, do we all want to be good people, or do we all, all want other people to think we're a good person? Yeah, and that's an that is an important distinction.、Mm. So,、um, and what, I actually, and what think, is a good person? Yeah, well, I actually think that. A lot of us can struggle to see the difference between appearing to be something and actually being that thing, and that is because we've lost the notion you, of truth. Catherine, Thomas, that quote up there:、oh. "When you want to help、yeah. people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear." That、yeah. seems relevant to say right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, 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 no, that I mean, Thomas Sowell's brilliant,、um, and that's exactly right. I want to help people, so I'm telling them the truth now. A lot of people say, "Well, what, what is the truth? Your truth isn't my truth," and it's because of that inability to understand what truth is. We then can't even see what's real anymore, and we cannot distinguish between what something appears to be and what it actually is. I.e., if you're a good person or just want to appear to be a good person. Yeah. Or if you you're an anti-racist with a black box、yes. on Instagram, or you are actually somebody who isn't racist. Yeah. They can't tell the difference. And they they confuse they get confused all the time,、mm. and then what ends up happening is the only thing that matters is what looks like is the case as opposed to what actually is the case. And so, of course, much easier. Okay, if I can be a not be a, somebody who isn't racist, and all I have to do is put a box up on Instagram, boom, I'll do that. I'm done, right? I don't actually have to do anything different with my life. I don't actually dedicate myself in any kind of way to being a different kind of person. All I have to do is put a black box up. Well, brilliant. I'll take that option, and that is what's going on. Catherine, in two thousand and ten, you gave your speech about the broken education system. Is it any further forward?、Uh, yeah, I do think it's a lot. It, it, a lot has changed, and it changed mainly because of Michael Gove, who was education secretary, and Nick Gibb, who was one of the school ministers. They've done an. I mean, huge changes.、Uh, phonics is happening all across the country. You know, before Nick Gibb, that just wasn't that just wasn't the case. It's now considered so normal, people will say, "Oh," but it was always the case. It's not true.、Uh, Michael Gove made so many changes to the education system for the better. A lot of people hate him for it,、um, but he made education much better in this country. And now there are things that people take for granted. For instance, before him. You were not allowed to search a child's bag、um, if they thought they had a knife. Oh well, you just had to leave it, right? He made it so that we could search.、Uh, well, you weren't allowed to give a child a detention for the same day. 
without asking the parents. You'd have to write something in their homework diary and then book them in for the following day. Now, people might think that's no big deal. Children understand immediacy. If it doesn't happen right away, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, he changed that. So there's small rules like that, but he also changed the curriculum. He changed, he's changed so much. So those big things changed. It is also the case that thanks to him, free school started. And uh, disruptive free schools like, like ours, Michaela, uh, started up. And we have changed uh, what is considered to be normal now in education. And what I mean by that is we've got silent corridors. Uh, we actually took it from another school, the idea. Um, but before us, nobody ever talked about silent corridors. Nowadays, it, there are other schools that do it. And it's up for grabs in terms of the conversation. Uh, there are other things that we do, like um, prioritizing knowledge in the classroom uh, and the teacher being the authority in the classroom and leading from the front. Uh, that when, has, when you say prioritizing knowledge over what? Yeah, that's, that's an Sorry. interesting point. Yeah. So your viewers will think, well, what do you mean? Obviously, school is giving kids knowledge. That really is not what's happening. Um, there are many places where, uh, and, and certainly before Gove, uh, what was considered to be good teaching was um, child-centered learning, where children are sort of teaching themselves. And the desks are in groups, and the children are looking at each other. Uh, and the teacher is, rather than being a teacher, is more of a facilitator of learning, moving amongst the desks and keeping the children on task, which means they're not really learning very much. The exams were much easier then. Things have had to change because he changed the exam system. He made the exams harder. And it's the case that teaching methods have changed. As I say he, Michael Gove did. But we, Michaela, are, have been part of a movement uh, of trying to return things to a more traditional classroom where the teacher is the authority in the room leading the learning and where discipline is really important. Um, now, I'm not saying those things didn't exist before him, but uh, they were far more rare than they are now. And so our school has had, I think, real impact on what is considered normal um, in the world of education. Not just in this country, but all over the world. We get a thousand visitors every year uh, who come to see what we do. And um, these are mainly teachers from across the world, often from English-speaking countries like Canada, America, Australia, mainly from Britain, obviously, but even other countries like France, Germany, etc. Argentina, Chile, you know, like, um, and then what's interesting, like there's, there's a whole group of schools in Amsterdam uh, that are copying us, for instance. So it, it is a worldwide movement, really, returning us to a more traditional education, which of course is because traditional education works. So I've got some questions about the education system, mm -hmm. but from the standpoint of an entrepreneur, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm interested in that. Um, so when I was at school, which is a long freaking time ago, 25 years, <coughs> <laughs> um, I was not taught basic money management. It's not taught about, okay, you could go and maybe do economics and learn a bit about inflation and interest rates and bits and bobs, but it, it wasn't really taught how to properly manage money and your emotions around money. And look at the world now. It's a, in a financial mess. I went around your library and there's all these sections, but there's nothing on business and finance and money that I could see. And I waited to the end when I think he was your economics teacher to ask him. And I asked him if I could ask a question. He said I couldn't ask a question and he shooed me off. So I found this all really interesting. 
is proper basic fundamental financial education taught in your school or any schools? Because it wasn't when I went to school. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And in fact, you mentioning that makes me think, oh, yeah, we, you know, we just... Uh, we just opened a bookcase in the library called Smart Thinking, which has books like Malcolm Gladwell books and, mm. and Bounce and that kind of thing, yeah. you know, by what's his name, uh, Matthew Syed. Um, but maybe we should actually. I mean, I'll, you know, when, when we finish this podcast, I'll be talking to my English teacher who runs the library and say, hey, you know what? Here's a new uh, bookcase that we need to put together. Mm. I do know we have a few books like that. They must be mixed up with the others because I know I've seen kids with kind of books about getting rich and stuff like this. Mm. I can't think. But, you know, I've seen kids with books like that from the library. But maybe we should have more. Um, we do do a bit of um, uh, money uh, uh, kind of education in their PSHE lessons. Um, we used, I mean, we've used the book. There's a there's a textbook sent out. You know the money supermarket guy? Yeah, Martin Lewis. Yeah, mm. there we go, Martin Lewis. Mm. Lewis. He has sent all schools a kind of textbook that he's made about mm. money. The very thing that you're saying isn't mm. taught. Um, and we use that, uh, some of the stuff from there, and we've put that into our, some of our PSHE lessons. Mm. I mean, but you ask an interesting question uh, because there's always this debate around what should schools teach. And... Um, and I'm sorry the economics teacher, by the way, didn't answer your question. Well, he may have been. I'm a bit of a rebel. Yeah. So when he rejected me, that triggered me in, immensely, mm. and I smiled and and walked off. And then, um, yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. But it's his school, it's his class, it's his rules. But was he know? in the middle of a lesson? I waited until he got the class working on their own and he'd moved to the side and just can I ask you a question oh I see but that's why because the yeah. teachers aren't allowed because hey, the guests did that all the time I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a rebel so yeah. getting rejected I don't like it and I'm not criticizing yeah. your school um, well but you can imagine if a thousand guests in the year were asking teachers questions and all the lessons I, that they went I, into I'm the only guest mean. at that moment in time no I know yeah. but there needs to be a rule that the teachers not you know answer questions in the middle of a lesson because mm. otherwise we would just have so much disruption. We, mm. wouldn't, we wouldn't be allowed. We wouldn't be able to get guests in. That's yeah, but um, yeah, I smiled gracefully and floated away. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's the right way to, to react. Uh, yeah, and um, you make a good point about the finance books, and uh, you know, uh, I'll look. Uh, I'll look at that. Mm. But the point that I was about to say was that it's always an interesting question: what should schools teach? Because um, some people think that we, schools should teach uh, a whole bunch of uh, skills that, um, or topics that are more practical. So what I mean by that is teach them how to look after a baby, teach them you know, m money issues, teach them, um, oh, I don't know, any number of different practical ideas. They're always, it's always on Twitter. Schools should teach this, schools mm. should teach that, and teach schools to teach this. Schools can't teach everything. You've got to choose. Yeah. Um, but isn't money so ubiquitous? Yeah, and is it so where most why... people struggle and where your addictions come from and even where your I suicide agree. can come from? I agree. And so mm. that's why we include it in what we do in PSHG. Mm. Um, but there will be some things that we'll say, no, we're not going to teach this because you have to make a decision. And mm. I agree with you about money. Mm. Uh, and it's an interesting point about the library that you make. And as I say, I'll then look into it because we've only just a few weeks ago opened up this bookcase of smart thinking. And so oh, actually there's that. Yeah. You're now suggesting another bookcase and actually we should do that. Mm. And in fact, we were think I was saying we need to invite another author in because we got an author in, Ian Leslie, 
his book Curious to launch the Smart Thinking bookcase. So what we need to do is do a finance bookcase, and then we can get a mm. finance author to come in and talk. Well, there's a there's a book called Money, which is done. It's, it's a big book in the UK over the last eight years, and I wrote it. Oh, and you don't even know, do you? No, but maybe yeah. you can come in and launch the the. the I'll bookcase. come in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that'd be really good. Yeah. Because you've also given me the idea. Yeah. So well, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it would be my pleasure because, for example, I'll just give you an example. Most kids are taught, if they're taught, save money. It's bad advice right now. Martin Lewis is going around saying save money and live behold, but below your means and save your heating and all of that. But when inflation is 10.1 or 14.4%, and you're getting 2 or 3% savings in the bank and the banks don't guarantee the money even though they tell you they do. And it's bad advice. And it's bad is advice. It? It's really bad advice. Sa- oh. Saving is only good for the discipline for investing. Kids should be taught. Um, so they're not really taught inflation or compound interest or uh-huh. w- if they have money, where they put it, what happens to it? Because if they have money and put it in the bank, what happens is it goes down by 10 to 15% a year at the moment uh-huh. and the banks take it and they go and invest yeah. it and lend it out and it's not their money anymore. Yes. And that's what really happens with money and, and they don't get taught that sort of thing. But then that leads me to my next question is, do you think the financial system, the central banks, um, they don't really want people to know how money really works and to be entrepreneurial? I don't know. I mean, do that's they want a load question. of disruptors and rebels? Well, I don't think any system ever wants disruptors and rebels. But it needs them. Yes, I agree. I'm not sure that the people in the banks think one way or the other about what's going on in schools. I mean, apart from for their own children, I mean... But I mean, if if you go to school and you're taught to go to to university and get a job, you're going to be a good citizen. You're going to be paying 45% tax at at the moment. So that's a tick. You're going to get into debt from age 18 to 70 and you're going to be paying the system six or seven hundred thousand pounds in interest. So tax in one arm, half your money in tax for the rest of your life. We'll lend you a load of money for mortgages and loans, that's and hundreds of thousands for the rest of your life. You're nice, you know, you're something that the system can, can feed off. Yeah, I get it, but there's no one person. There, aren't, there isn't a cabal of men in some room going, Well, some people <laughs> think there are. The World Economic Forum or Charles Schwab, that's what people think. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think everybody is just living their life, you know, and they, it's what I said about the web. We're all caught in this web. Mm. I don't think that there's a few puppeteers at the, at the top going, ha, ha, ha. Well, I mean, Liz Truss, she, she had no power, did she? She was exactly. in for 45, so someone was puppet stringing her. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I know what you're saying. There are people who talk about, you know, the, the big corporations and... Yeah, I'm not really saying to. anything because I don't really know either. No, I always I ask know. because I'd actually quite like to know who pulls the strings. Yeah, and I'd I like know. to know their motives and... Figure I'm not it sure out. anyone is ever pulling strings. I feel like we're all just caught in this web and people just do things. But when you say no one's pulling strings, right, Boris was definitely not for lockdowns. Then all of a sudden we're locked down, not once, not twice, but nearly three times. Yeah, because he's not pulling the strings. Exactly, so someone's oh. pulling the strings. Oh, pulling his strings. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. It could be that the public get more and more anxious. The public are then demanding something be done. So it's a and PR then he machine. Thinks, Gosh, I have to do popularity something. Popularity contest. Yeah, that people end up, it's like you put a bo- black box up on Instagram, he locks us down. It's the same reason. The reason is, I've got to, because everybody's telling me I have to, because otherwise I'm a bad person. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Possibly. You may also be right. Maybe there's somebody pulling your strings. I don't, I don't know. really know. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, actually, no one gives you names, and I've asked a lot of 
very intellectual, connected people, and no one can give you exactly. names. Exactly. So I just don't believe that. It's yeah. kind of an easy way of, put, of, of explaining things away, that there's somebody doing all the bad stuff. Mm. I don't think so. If only, because then we could just go and take them out. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there is nobody. It's yeah. much more complex than that. And that's why we all end up with black boxes on Instagram and locked down in our cellars. You mm. know, like, like, and nobody wants it. That's, that's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Nobody actually wants any of this stuff, yeah. but it's still happening. And we're all making it happen. That's what's so fascinating about human psychology and how we, and group behavior and tribalism, you know? Mm. We just end up doing things we don't even want to do. So, yeah, I, yeah, but your stuff, like what you're saying about inflation, we do teach them that. We, t we, mm. we do teach them in PSHE, mm. but it, it isn't, what you might complain about is that that's sort of up to us. So what I mean is, it's up to each individual school. Every school has to teach maths. They yeah. have to teach English, but they wouldn't have to teach finance. Do, do you teach compound interest in maths? Yeah, 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 yeah. That will happen. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I never learned any of that in right. school. But, uh, you know, I'm here with an open mind. I'm yeah, not here going on. Were you a well-behaved pupil? And I was a bit of a rebel. Exactly. Yeah. So you say you weren't taught it. You were out of the lesson that time no, when he was I, out I of the think, class. No, I think I was in the... I mean, OK, sixth form, I was out of the lessons, but I wasn't doing maths then. I was in the lessons to age 16. The thing is, is that where you'll be right is that lots of schools are in chaos. Lots of schools are not necessarily uh, teaching what needs to be taught yeah. um, because the teacher can't because they're just trying to get silence and yeah. they haven't actually got through the curriculum and they haven't taught right. them. You know, so it's not necessarily the case that, you know, it, that's the plan. It just ends up that way. Yeah. That, and plus also people, so people say the same thing about uh, various bits of history. So the, the woke brigade would say, well, we're not taught enough on black history, for instance, they'll say. Um, but they've actually just forgotten what they learned in history. Mm. Um, and the reason they've forgotten it is because, unfortunately, the teaching methods that we're using aren't good, good enough to make sure that children remember stuff yeah. that they've been taught, you know? Mm. Uh, so a lot of this stuff that people accuse schools of just gets lost in the discussion around, well, are we doing a great job teaching them? Mm. And do people actually remember what they've been taught? Yeah. Right, so yes. entrepreneurship next. We've talked yes. a bit about money. I'm wondering if entrepreneurship is taught in schools. Most people don't know, actually, that many schools were built or donated, the money was um, given to build the school by entrepreneurs. Um, and when I was in school, might have changed, because I was in the top set, I was put into geography, where I learned geography in French. That's never had any practical use to me <laughs> in the real world. And I, I don't, like, thank the Lord that I learned geography, um, but entrepreneurship and solving problems and building things and making things. I mean, engineers are entrepreneurs. You know, some of the top people in the rich list are engineer entrepreneurs. Is enough engineering and entrepreneurship and building things and making things happen and hiring people and building teams, is enough of that taught in schools? Yeah, well, it, we come back to the night point about what people think uh, education is for. And um, I'm not sure it's for that. I think, when I say education, I mean education up to the age of 16. Mm. Uh, I think up to the age of 16, we're trying to teach these kids to be literate, to be numerate, to have an understanding of some of the best that's been thought and said. They should read Shakespeare. They should um, understand, have an, you know, an understanding of their British history, of British geography, of geography, <laughs> etc. And while you might say it doesn't have any practical use, uh, that's true. But I think you underestimate how much, I mean, I say you underestimate, it depends on what school you went to and how much you actually learned. 
but how much the knowledge of stuff that is deeper than just practical use, how much that shapes who you become as a person. That thinking about the ideas that they come across through learning about history or learning about science and so on helps them develop into proper human human beings, you know, adults. Now, there is a space for what you're talking about, the more practical side. In PSHE, for instance, that's a lesson where they can learn more practical things. So like money, for instance, or they'll learn about uh, careers and what kinds of careers there are out there. So there's a space for that. But I do think the majority of time when it comes to up to 16, it's about it's about giving them a space to do what they won't have time for later. Because you and I have less time now to read Shakespeare. You and I have less time now to really appreciate the beauty of learning another language and so on, because we just don't have time. You're yeah. working 16 hour days. So when you're younger, you have that opportunity and you're looked after by your parents. So you don't have to worry about a mortgage and paying for your car and so on. And then after that, go out and learn how to lay some bricks, how to cut someone's hair, how to do some plumbing or how to do more of that academic stuff, which you can then go on and learn at university. That there's a whole variety of things. You might learn how to fix somebody's teeth at that point. You might learn how to fix someone's heart. Whatever it is that you then end up doing, you do more practical stuff. The fixing of the heart, for instance, or of the teeth, that's more practical. Um, some of them, of course, will then go off and decide to become entrepreneurs. And that, I have to say, you're going to learn more on the job. You're going to learn more by being mentored by another entrepreneur. You're going to go and get a job and you're going to figure things out. I don't think that kind of stuff can be taught in school. I mean, even if we tried, I don't think you could uh, just because it's not the right space for it. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's like, can we teach all the kids how to drive? No, it's just too difficult, you know, because um, they need to be in the car. And it's a different thing. So I feel that up until 16, you're giving, you're giving kids a kind of basis, uh, some basic uh, skills and the opportunity to explore the beauties of literature and the beauty of um, language and, 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 and history and so on when you have time. And then you go off and you can become an entrepreneur and then you get really rich and when you retire you can start come back to what you did when you were young, you mm. know, because you don't have time to do that kind of thing. And... Life is long. After 16, you're going to have lots of years to be able to do those practical things. Mm. And hopefully, if the school has done a good job, not just with teaching you history and math and so on, but also with the values that school has instilled in you. So we very much try and instill a core set of values in our kids, which is about kindness and having being grateful and having a sense of duty or service to your country and to, to, to your fellow man. Um, and that's where, you see, if all schools did that, um, freedom of speech, when we come back to that point, freedom of speech uh, wouldn't be s such an issue because we'd all be free to speak, but we'd all agree on what, we'd all agree on, okay, you're pushing the boundaries here and that's fine, but we're doing so in a polite manner. We're doing so in a, in a way that is um, acceptable, you know? Uh, but we've lost all of that because we've lost our core. We've lost the core of values that we used to agree on. Like in the 1950s, everybody got it. Everybody got that you um, that there were certain things that were sacred, that you 
you wouldn't make fun of the dead, you know? You wouldn't speak ill of the dead. You, when on a, the 11th of November, we all put on a poppy and we do our two minute silence because men died for us and we've got to recognize that. There are many schools that don't even sell poppies. And if they do, there's a few kids who buy them and they might do the two minute silence, they might not. Um, you know, we take it really seriously. There's deference to, to the dead and, and respect, you know? Uh, those ideas, the sense of, you know, you watch Gladiator and you see them all before in a battle saying, strength and honor, strength and honor. And I gotta think, where's our strength and honor? <laughs> you know, like, and that sort of stuff is, is what brings meaning to your life, you know? Uh, and I think that it's our role in school to socialize children in that kind of way so that they have that core set of values. Um, and what are those core set of values? Well, what I was just saying, uh, you know, uh, being grateful, always being grateful for what you have, because you'll always have more than somebody else, however little you have, you know, um, being kind to people. So our motto is work hard, be kind, mm. which is interesting because we took it. Much of what we do, we've taken from some other school or somewhere. Work hard, be kind. We took from uh, KIPP Charter School in America, which um, uh, it's, they've got about two, three hundred schools across America. These two Jewish guys set it up in the early 90s. Uh, done an amazing job. I mean, respect to them. Um, really transformed the lives of many kids in the inner cities in, in, in America. Their motto is work hard, be nice. Um, we decided to change it slightly because we don't want to have the exact same motto. And, it, and my, the idea is if every child leaves us at least knowing how to work hard and be kind, then we've done something. Obviously, you want them to achieve more than that, but at least that. After the George Floyd situation, uh, Kip was forced to uh, uh, abandon their motto because it was said that uh, teaching white teachers teaching black children to be nice was racist. Um, and the, the thinking around this is that you're teaching them to be subservient. Um, now, you might kind of understand this, actually, because you're a disruptor and you're a guy who, you know, and so... I don't know what means, but <laughs> I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> um, and so... If, if people are teaching you to be nice, it's teaching you not to stand up for yourself and not to go, you know? Uh, and again, I just think it's to totally misunderstand what it is to be kind or to be nice. Uh, our children, you know, I was standing in a classroom this afternoon or this morning um, because we had a, a candidate who was in uh, and he was doing the lesson and one kid didn't have his black pen. And the, 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 the candidate said, oh, does anyone have a black pen to learn? And all of the children put their hands up. Here, sir, here's a pen for him. You know, like, that's the kind of community that you want. You know, mm. you want the children to be kind. And the idea that black children shouldn't be taught to be kind, but white children should be taught to be kind, is just mad, right? Mm. It's absolutely mad. Um, and it's to misunderstand what it is to be kind and to be nice. It's not being subservient. Uh, it's being a decent human being. It's being able to treat an 83-year-old woman with some respect and to allow her a little bit of leeway when she misspeaks, you mm. know? Uh, and we have just lost our sense of kindness. It, we really have. Mm. Um, so I always call my values small C conservative values that um, I think people should have. And big C conservatives don't necessarily have small C conservative values. So this isn't a political thing. Um, I'd say my father has small C conservative values. What's the difference between the, the two? So big C conservative, well, they're part of the conservative party. Um, they believe whatever the Conservative Party thinks. 
If the Conservative Party changes its mind tomorrow and thinks this, they'll go like that. They think that, they go like that. My values ain't changing. <laughs> um, and now the school will change. The way in which, which we, the technicalities, how we do things, we might change one system for another system, but the values don't change. And that's the one thing that people don't really get. They look at me and they go, oh, she's such a bully. You know, she just makes everybody, you know, she, she doesn't change her mind about things. Well, one, I used to be a total lefty. So I have changed my mind completely about that. But two, it's true that my core doesn't move, but everything else moves around me. It's why our school is so great, because one of my teachers comes and says, no, 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 we've got this bit wrong, Catherine. We need to change it. I go, OK, let's change it. Right. They don't people don't see that. And um, that core, in terms of our values, used to be in all of us. And while we may have disagreed politically, some of us would have been on the left, some of us would have been on the right. The core values were shared amongst our communities. The problem that we have now, and you really see it in America, is that the values, they do not agree on the values. And when you can't, when the two sides can't agree on the values, then you just can't even hear each other. You know, you just can't, you, you can't understand what the other one is saying. Mm. Right. Where do I even start to unpick all this gold that's come right, out? Right, so, right, right, right. <laughs> um, I would love to ask you, I need a lot of context for this question. I normally ask short questions, but I need a lot of context for this one. So ultimately the question is, how do you define kindness? And I need to give you two examples. When I was 11 to 14, I was the fattest kid in the year at school. And um, I felt I was intensely bullied and I hated it. Um, I usually swear on this show. My wife has told me not to swear today. <laughs> so I'm not going to swear. She's a very wise woman. Yeah, but the things they said to me hurt me to my core. And I've pondered for 30 years what kindness is because all my friends, my few friends that supported me and let me live in the illusion that I wasn't the fattest kid in school, the bullies... <laughs> who were really cruel, like I still feel the pain of it now, they were the ones that motivated me to lose all my weight. Right. Not all the kind people. So this is where I want to get to. So the right. second thing is, I have a mentor who has a theory. So first statement is, the bullies did the kindest thing to me at school. Because, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to sit here singing my own praises, but I've done a lot for my city. We have 1,250 tenants in our properties. That's a big thing for the city to pay millions of pounds a year in taxes. I have 144 staff. I wouldn't have had any of that if I was just, if it wasn't for the bullies, really. I have to thank them. Mm, I disagree with that. But anyway, okay, yeah, well, this is why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing is a mentor of mine has a theory that kids who get bullied attract the bully. And the reason they attract the attract the bully is because the bully forces them into independence and strength and also that the bully attracts the bullied to teach them humility and kindness what do you think about all of that how does the bully learn humility and kindness by bullying well how else would they change unless they came into contact with someone who was the bullied so you or think... humbleize them, or embarrass them, or shame them, or teach them. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So you think that the kids no, who bullied you at I school don't think this. This is are a theory. now kind and decent because they learned that from bullying you. 
Is that what you're saying? No. No, I'm saying two different things. So number one, let's break it into two parts then. Number one, um, I think if I were not bullied at school, I probably would have lived a smaller life. And I think that actually... Okay, let, the, me, let the, me comment on that the, first. Yeah, go the, on. Yeah, the, yeah go, go on, challenge on that right. first. Right, so the idea that people need to be bullied in order to have extraordinary lives is crazy. Uh, look... But the so many people, school, so many people who are successful school, are, aren't they? They were. I mean, so many of people I've interviewed, billionaires and successful people, they had all sorts of trauma and pain and abuse and bullying. I'm not saying it's a prerequisite. I'm just saying I think that they've learned to see it as a gift. Uh, well, so that's a different point. Yeah. The, that point is when bad things happen to you, you can view them in two different ways. You can view it as something that you're going to spring back up from. So... I lost my job, you know, was cancelled, etc. Yeah. I built my you own school. You have this school, yeah. Yeah. Or you can then withdraw. When you meet all these entrepreneurs, it's like when you meet, um, if you meet Venus and, not that you have, but if one meets Venus and Serena, one might think, so what you need to do is be born in Compton and then go out every night in the rain with your dad playing tennis. And mm. if you do that, you're going to become a Wimbledon star. No. There are lots, presumably, Serena and, Serena and Venus have inspired lots of dads to do that with their kids. Mm. And they take the daughters out. And funnily enough, they don't get to Wimbledon. Um, you only see the successes. <laughs> so you meet those successes and say, aha, it has to be the bullying. Just like you might say about, you know, uh, tennis. Well, what you need to do is grow, uh, grow up in Compton and go to the local uh, tennis courts. No, you're meeting the exceptions who managed to overcome those awful situations. Those awful situations are awful by definition. And I would like it that fewer kids have to undergo that. Mm. It hurts you even now. And I wish you hadn't had that life. And had you come to this school, you wouldn't have had that life. But that doesn't mean that you would have then just remained as you were. Um, what would have happened if you were at this school is that you would not have been bullied. And if you had been, we would have snapped it like immediately. Mm. Um, and if you hadn't been on social media, then you definitely wouldn't have been a bully because no bullying takes place within these walls. It's always on social media, mm. but we get to the bottom of it even when it happens on social media. Um, so, and we would have been talking to you about your weight and so on, about what you can do. And we would have been encouraging you and you would have become you regardless. Now, is it not the hard things that make us stronger? Yes. Uh, that's true. Well, can do. Can break you, you as it. well, yeah. If yeah. you see it in that way. You see, what you're not doing is interviewing all the people that, where bullying has broken them. Mm. You're not interviewing all the people, and there will be hundreds of thousands of them. Mm. There will be five, you know, Joe Rogans or whoever it is you're talking about who's overcome, you know, overcome the, that bullying. Five you, <laughs> versions of you. Mm. And there will be 500,000 versions of people who have been broken by bullying. Mm. So... Uh, um, um, how can we help those people then? Well, by making sure that we have schools that don't allow bullying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, that you want schools that don't have bullying. Mm. Now, uh, and nobody helped you. And even if there had been bullying, no teacher did anything about it. Like, you were in an, a horrible situation. Mm. This is not something to celebrate. It's something no, to... No, I've not really figured it out yet, if I'm honest, if it's, if it's good or not good. Well, because you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but look, it made me. Look, it only made you because you are exceptional, right? Yeah. That, no, I, no, no, I, you I, are. Don't tell me that. No. No, 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 no. 
You, the, the, no, no, you, you I was, are I was bro, broken, lo a broken loser in, Look, when I was 25 years old. And the fact that you old. are not now demonstrates just how extraordinary you are. But anyone can be that. You're a disruptor. No, it's not true. Not anybody can be a disruptor. Are you crazy? Look, most Maybe people... Maybe I am crazy. <laughs> <laughs> most people aren't like you. I mean, I don't know anything about you apart from the few things you told me just now about yourself. But I can tell you right now, they're not like... Who goes around with all these lights and things going into school to, uh, to run a podcast with me? Hardly anybody. But anyone then, could if they wanted to. Well, anybody could do anything, yeah. ostensibly. Yeah. But you're in that you are underestimating how m the power of genes the power of what you were born with right um anybody who has two kids knows you're two kids mm -hmm. think about them yeah they'll have different personalities mm -hmm, they do they'll be different and you'll yeah. think well we raise them pretty much the same and mm. we expect the same things out of yeah. them and the you know you and your wife are doing the same stuff yeah. isn't it weird mm. they were born differently mm. i mean like they are different and some people are more shy than others. Some people are more confident. Some people are louder, whatever. You know, yeah. you are an exceptional person. And the main thing that makes you exceptional is your willing to, willingness to take risk, right? Most people, which is what makes entrepreneurs, I have so much admiration for entrepreneurs because they take risk. Um, you're willing to do that. And you're willing to keep pushing the boat out. So you, you took risk financially, but you also take risk in terms of the kinds of things you say. You know, you have a whole podcast all about that, really, people taking risk. And the reason why those people are interesting is precisely because they're the kinds of people who take risk. Because most people don't take risks. Now, you might say, but anybody could take risks. Well, yes, I suppose. And but depend, their depends on how you define the risk as well. Yeah, there are different levels mm. of risk. As I say, there's financial, there's uh, yeah. social, there's all kinds of different kinds of risk, as you say. The thing is, is that most people aren't necessarily built that way, which is why when uh, the whitehead teachers give everybody this book to read, I don't think, how dare you, you're such an idiot. Mm. I think I kind of get it, really. I get why they're awkward about it. Um, it's not fair. I don't think it's fair or right for you to say, well, anybody could do this, so why aren't they doing it? I yeah, think I mean, I would, no I would normally say, if you want to do it, I think you can do it, and I would like to help. That yeah. would be more my message. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Fine. And, and that's, that's good. I yeah. mean, that's amazing. And you would support them, and you'd be their mentor or whatever, and brilliant. Mm. brilliant. But that's a different thing from saying, yeah, but look, I've done it, so you can do it too. Because we've all got to be careful of that. There's some truth in that, uh, but not everybody, you were in the top set. You were super bright. You're also willing to take uh, risks. I thought I was. I don't think I was super bright. I fought, fought my way up to the top set because of all the shame I felt, and I wanted to overcompensate that shame by getting into the top set. So I just worked hard. Yeah, I, would, I wasn't super bright. Okay. Yeah. There are some kids, no matter how hard they work, they will never get out of the bottom set, let alone get to the top. set. No matter how hard they work. No. So there are kids here, who, lovely, lovely, lovely children, who will be working every night, three hours a night. They're at the best school. They've got the best teachers. They will never get to the top set. There is nothing they can do about that. And you must never, when I say people need to be grateful, you need to be, need to be grateful for the brains you've got, the, the sense of risk you've got, mm. the, your ability to be able to shoo off criticism, you know, and just go, it's all right, I can keep going, you know. Mm. Now, you can try and teach people some of that, but you've also just got some natural advantages. You mm. just do, which is why you're exceptional.
I find this exceptional or the best and most people can't be like that, a bit of a paradox. Because I agree with you in that to be the best of the best is probably the 0.001%. But that's the same in everything. And if you just go, well, I'll never be in the top 0.01%. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, of course. So yeah, 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 yeah. but that's kinda, different. How's that's it a different point. Because you're saying, uh, you're saying, oh, so we'd use that as an excuse. No, right? So I'm not suggesting, you know, we're saying to the kids, work hard, you're getting to the best places, you're going to do X, Y, and Z, mm. come on, come on, come on. I'm certainly not saying to the kids, well, you know, it's nothing you can do, forget it, give yeah. up on your life. Um, Even though that, they're not statistically likely to ever get in that top 0.1%. No, exactly. So you aim for the moon or whatever, you land amongst the stars. Everybody yeah. needs to do that. Um, I'm saying it can both be the case that you and I should not stand in judgment of people who haven't made it to the moon. I, I am one but, of the least judgmental people. Right. Well, there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing wrong with being judgmental. I mean, I think judgment well, is good. Really? Yeah. In what way? Well, we judge the woke, don't we? We, we judge them for, to, to, be, to be wrong. Well, I mean, I just ask questions. Okay, well, I judge them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I judge them and I say that they're making society into a worse place. Mm, and, and I think it's would, right that I do They that. would reflect that back on you and say that you're making society a worse place. And yes. you would say you're seeking truth and they would say they're seeking That's truth. That's right. And if yeah. we had a discussion, hopefully we would then talk about, we'd get to the crux of the matter. The problem is the values, you know, mm. that, that's, we come back to that. But um, it, it's good to judge because if you never judge, then anything goes. You don't want a, a, a society where anything goes. You want a society where we've got standards, where we've got expectations of how people should behave. Um, that's what, the thing that keeps us mm. most, um, the thing that keeps a society working is our sense of shame, our sense of um, wanting to do right and good, you know? And that's when I come back to that point about free speech. So if we all agree on what good behavior is, which then, we never will. Well, I think we agreed more so before. Do you think eight billion people can agree on what good behaviour is? No, no, no. In a, in, a, okay. in a country. Yeah. So in a, it, you know, it, it, in a defined society. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and so you know, there'd be once upon a time when you'd say, "What are the French like? What are the Italians like?" So the Italians. Yeah. Let's say stereotypes are, you know, Italians shout a lot, but English people are much more reserved. Mm. Okay. I mean, many of those stereotypes have now gone by the wayside because that's no longer the case. But let's say it was the 1950s, those stereotypes may have yeah. held true more. Um, and that's because there was a national culture to Britain. It was much harder to travel as well, so we, you couldn't have such yes. a mix of cultures. Yes, true. Yeah. And that, but that national culture was a good thing, is what I'm saying. Mm. When, people, uh, when people share commonalities in that country, they identify, you're my countrymen, we are similar, mm. right? You've got to have that umbrella to, for everybody to fall under. Otherwise, you don't really have a country. Otherwise, it's just each for his own. Anything goes, right? Uh, and the, the question is, what are the norms by which we live? Are these norms good norms or are they bad norms? And then you say, well, what makes it good? What makes it bad? And... Um, you know, I would say that we inherit really from Christianity, that Christianity is, you know, has been the bedrock of our country for many years, decades, centuries. Mm. Um, Do you think in a thousand years there is no such thing as Christianity anymore? Well, it's interesting because it, 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 it's certainly not, you know, it's not on the front foot, is it? So, no. 
And, it, you know, nowadays, you know, hardly anybody goes to church and so on. Mm. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. I say that as a non-Christian, I do not go to church. But, um, you know, I'm pretty pro-Christianity. I mean, when I say pro it, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. But the Bible has a lot of good, it makes a good, lot the of good sense. The Ten Commandments are solid rules for it, life, Yeah, yeah, they? yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. And we forget that actually the reason why we, we act as we do and we believe what's right and wrong as we do is because we've inherited that from our Christian historical legacy, really. Mm. Mm. Is the gender pay gap real? Yeah, well, they say, I mean, I, I don't know details, so I can't really say for sure, but... Uh, they say it, 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 it isn't and that the reason why there is this gap is because women will go part-time, women have children, uh, women may not necessarily seek promotion because they have children and they want to be able to go part-time and that when you uh, control for all of these things, in the end, actually, there is no actual pay gap. Um, I suspect a lot of that, there's a lot of truth in that. Mm. Uh, and everyone is just... The thing is, is that so much of this stuff that people say, it hasn't really been well thought through. They're not looking at nuance. They're just looking at this black and white option and that's it, you know? Mm. And that's one of those situations. But I can't comment with any real authority because I don't know the details. But I imagine that it's, it's exaggerated. Let me put it that way. Mm. I want to get back to this entrepreneurship issue just okay. because I can't help. Uh, do you yeah. need... I just want yeah. to get the water. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me pour it for you. Um, so you said, and I might use slightly the wrong language, but along the lines of entrepreneurship can't really be taught. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to do a pitch. Okay. Because actually one of the things I've always wanted to do is get better financial education in schools and get entrepreneurial education in schools. Yeah. I get that entrepreneurs are the exceptional people. I get that. We have to high appetite for risk and you know, we build things from the ground up and we have to put the hours in and we have to be misunderstood and criticised. But right now, I really think the country needs some strong entrepreneurial leaders, definitely in the government. I mean, they don't know anything about business and finance in the government. Really shameful. And the way they're trying to recover the economy is cut spending and increase taxes. How's that going to, you know, create jobs and eco economic growth it's just going to do the opposite why am i going to want to keep working for 60 percent tax and 70 percent tax and when to get to 80 percent tax oh and by the way our public services are all ruined and they're all going on strike and there's just you know to create an economy you need growth yes and so you need someone to do the innovation the disruption the design the engineering and take all the risk and then create a load of jobs to you know, put all these resources together and then they need support by the government to do that, i.e. we'll subsidise you, we'll reduce the taxes, we'll give you some release, we'll support you so we can bring independent energy back to the UK, independent manufacturing and all those kinds. We don't have any of that. It's one of the reasons why we're so screwed in, in energy. We don't have any independence anymore. And it's just all a complete mess. Um, and there's n no one anywhere teaching how to change the country by being entrepreneurial. And, and you said, well, you can't really teach it, you just got to do it. Well, yes and no, because you can't really teach surgery. You've got to have a knife, but you can teach up to the point where you get given the knife and then you need the knife. And I, I think entrepreneurship is the same. You can learn the theory and you can learn practical. And actually, you can have a school like yours, um, but, but it's more for entrepreneurs. And 
you know, maybe in year two or three or module three or four, they actually get to start up their own business and they actually get a little bit of finance, which is a micro loan. And you could actually have them learning what to be an entrepreneur while running their own little YouTube channel or running their own little e-commerce business or whatever. I just don't think anyone's talking about that. And I just don't see any of that in the country. Yeah. OK. But what you're describing there is, I suppose, I don't know, when people go off and study business or MBAs and that kind of thing, uh, where that's all you're doing. I mean, I suppose I'm thinking just at school, if you have a lesson a week, what are you going to do in that? You know, you can't teach entrepreneurship. You're imagining a whole a, a, a whole school on that. And yes, OK, fine. I understand yeah, that. Maybe, and I've, there are... maybe I've got to the vision and the outcome before the steps along the journey. But why couldn't there be a module when, you know, or a lesson a week when you're eight, nine, 10, 11 and 12 or whatever? Why couldn't well, there? then it's just basic money, you know, knowledge that you need, which, you know, as I say, in PSHE, if people are doing that, then... You know, I know you don't like Martin Lewis, but I think you'd like his textbook. You no, know. I, I don't um, not like him, to be fair. I just <laughs> think that he's, he's about restriction, but we need growth to get out of. Right. Well, you know. I suspect you'd like his textbook. Mm. And, you know, if schools are using that. I think, and fair play for him getting in the system as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So I think I think that stuff can happen at school. Remember what I was saying about giving kids the basics at school. What you're talking about is a specialized, uh, you know, uh, training in a particular type of thing, which is, okay, these are kids who want to become entrepreneurs. At secondary school... We need more of them. Yeah, okay, but at mm. secondary school, you're giving... You know, when you're teaching Shakespeare, you're not thinking everyone's going to go off and become a Shakespeare expert. You're giving them a, a, a taste of the but best... But we, we don't need Shakespeare said. experts to bring our country back to life. We need no. people to build and design and make things. That's right. And so when they go off at 16, it's at that point that they learn how to lay bricks and they learn how to mend hearts and they learn how to, mm. you know, become entrepreneurs. Um... And some of them do go down the business route. You know, some of them do business. Yeah. Uh, it's just that you might be critical of the way in which business is taught. And I have to say, I'm not an expert at it, but I suspect you probably would be critical of it and that you would want much more of a practical element in that. And some of the further education colleges uh, do try and bring about more of a practical element. They try to do apprenticeships and so on. But it is something, it's an area, the whole apprenticeship, uh, uh, you know, uh, domain in the country is weak. I mean, you're 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 pointing out a weakness in the education system there. Um, but certainly after the age of sixteen, definitely you could do all of that. Mm. Um, now, what else were you saying? You were saying about you said some some other stuff uh, that I wanted to respond to. Tell me, remind me what you just said. You said, do you remember what you said? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I don't think there's enough support from the government. Oh yeah, in terms of the government, that was yeah. it. So I wanted to say. Um, the thing about the government is that you're saying, yeah, there aren't enough entrepreneurs in there. What there aren't enough of, I mean, you're right about that, but there aren't enough people in government anymore who are politicians, not just this particular government, uh, who have lived a life. It used to be the case that you would go, politicians came from all walks of life. Some had been teachers, some had been doctors, some had been entrepreneurs and so on. And then at age 40 or 50 or whatever it was, they decided then to join the, mm. the you know, public office and become a politician. Nowadays, you've got people, most of them are career politicians. Mm. And they've gone from school to some top university to then going into working for, you know, as some kind of SPAD or whatever it is in, in government. And they've never be done anything else. So they've never lived a life. So when I say you need to just do it, right, I'm valuing what life teaches you, what living a life does. And unfortunately, our politicians, and most of them, many of them have never lived a life. 
So they don't know how to make decisions. They're not like you. They've never run anything. They don't know what how to. They don't know how to build something up from the ground. They don't know how to take risks and 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 uh, lead people and hire people and fire people and so on. They have no idea how to do any of that. So they've lived in their little cocoon and then they make stupid decisions for people like you and me because they they don't know, right? So you're right that there aren't enough entrepreneurs, but I'd say it's broader than that. They mm. they don't have enough people who have lived a life. And how does that change? Because I think it really needs to change. Really, really needs to change. Well, they would probably say that politicians don't earn enough money. You have to be valuable enough to earn more money. I believe that you earn directly related to the value that you give. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I suppose you know there could be some kind of rule that you can't become a politician unless you've lived a certain number of years mm. doing X, Y, and Z first. Um, but of course, the people who make up these rules are the politicians. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so they might not, uh, you know, suggest that. Mm. Um, it is a real problem, though. I mm. do think. One of the reasons we find that politicians are completely out of touch is that they just haven't lived normal lives. Yeah. Anyway, off that soapbox, yes. do, does discipline equal freedom? Um, yes. So um, self-discipline is how you access freedom. It, you know, it's, it's all this kind of freedom. What, what is, there are different types of freedom. And people tend to think of freedom as um, freedom to just do whatever you want. Anything goes, right? No, freedom comes from self-control, right? Um, you are much more free now than you were as a kid. As a kid, you might have eaten a lot. You didn't have any kind of self-control around that. You were just miserable, right? Now, your self-control gives you freedom to do so much more. And that is what people misunderstand with kids a lot, is that they think, oh, what we need is for them to just be free. What they won't get wrong is that they want, to, they want to give kids loads of freedom. And then they want to take away all your freedom when you're an adult. When it should be the other way around. You take away your freedom when you're little so that when you're older, you can be truly free. And what is it to be truly free? You're truly free to lead a good life, to lead a life that's worth living. You're truly free to understand the world. And that's what I say about Shakespeare and so on to have spent some years thinking in depth about stuff that later you might not have time to think about, but it's going to help shape who you are. Um, to, to appreciate your culture and your country and your, the people who have come before you. Uh, that stuff, it gives you the freedom to be able to see the world differently and to interpret uh, people differently, as opposed to always skimming along the surface and ticking the boxes and getting a job and paying your mortgage and so on, but never really getting underneath. And there's so much else. It's like, it's like I often find, you know, with the woke, it's like they see the world in two dimensions. Everything is in two dimensions. And yet there's this whole three dimensional. Let me just start again. You were right in the zone then. Yes. <laughs> and yet there's this whole three dimensional world that's there. And they see this two dimensional world. And, you know, I'm always, I'm always thinking, look, look, just look, just stretch it out. Look, you can see there's this whole three-dimensional world here. There's depth. There's nuance. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that you can't see. Because all you can see is, you know, Lady Hussey, racist. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's how it is. No black box, racist, you know. Mm. And um, it's just so much more complex. Life and the world it's just fascinating. When I said earlier about how we're all caught in this web, that there's no 
The easy way out is to say somebody's manipulating it all at the top. I don't think there is anybody. Mm. It's so much more complex than that, that we all end up doing things we don't want to do, <laughs> mm. even though we don't want to do it. Like, how is that happening? And um, human psychology, it's just, you know, if there is a God, he's a clever guy, you know? Mm. It's mm. just so fascinating. And to be able to see this stuff and think about it, um, that's what we're trying to get these kids to get mm. to that point, you know? Mm. Um, you know, life is fascinating. I love it. I love living. You know, it's just so brilliant. And mm. um, I love my job. And, uh, you know, I love talking about this stuff. You know, your questions are really fascinating. Thank you. you. Know, your visit here is going to change the school. Because you're going to come back next term and you're going to launch a bookcase. I would love to. For finance and money. Yeah. And isn't that brilliant? Mm. You know, like, yeah. So you are very entrepreneurial. You like to make things happen. Yeah. And I like listening to people who make sense. Mm. <laughs> Do you think that kids should automatically respect adults? We had 30 minute debate on this in the car. Um, but I'd like to ask you and then maybe bring in context. Should kids automatically? Should kids automatically respect adults? Yes. Just like um, we should automatically respect 83-year-olds. Uh, you know, our values should be such that we understand that people who are older than us, we need to show some deference to. Now, that doesn't mean that the people who are older than us are always right. Lady Hussey was rude and boorish and really just a bit unpleasant, you know? She was wrong in what she did. But she's 83. So I owe her, if she was talking to me, I owe her a level of deference simply because she's 83. <laughs> and I would be more forgiving of her and kinder to her simply because she's 83. Now, same with the adults. Uh, they should, children should always show respect to adults. Um, the thing is, you can disagree with them and show respect. Um, sir, I'd like to, you know, respectfully disagree, but blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, you know, my staff, uh, you know, I'm talking as if they're kids, but they're much younger than me, you know. <laughs> um, they show me respect, but they disagree with me all the time. Mm. But the way in which they'll show their disagreement is always with respect. Um, no, I mean, to be honest, I think we should all respect everybody, right? Mm. Uh, is respect not earned, though, rather than assumed? No, I think it should be assumed. Oh. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't behave in such a way to earn respect. It can both be the case that respect should be assumed and that we should all behave in such a way to earn respect, right? Th yeah. Those two can coexist. Um, and so we should behave in a way that means that people would respect us, but we should also just respect other people because we do. Mm. That's my point about Lady Hussey. I keep coming back to her, but it's a perfect example of the kind of everything that's gone wrong. When the woke say, yes, but her people, we know who she is, right? They are not demonstrating any respect for her as an individual, mm. and they're not demonstrating respect for her as an 83-year-old. But even if you take the 83-year-old, let's pretend she was 43, I would still have treated her with respect at that moment. And you might say, well, she wasn't treating you with respect because she kept saying, where are you really from? And she was being bored. Mm. That's true, but I'd still try and be respectful back. Mm. And I might say, look, I think you're being a bit disrespectful, and I would say that. But, and the reason why, oh, and I meant to say this about the kids who bullied you, the reason why you don't want bullies is not just because you want to save the kid who's being bullied. You want to save the kids who are bullies. You don't want them to be those people. And they're often hurt themselves, aren't they? You want them, yeah, mm. you want them, and even if they're not hurt, let's say he's just a bully, right? Mm. You don't want them to be those kinds of people. You want to bring them up in a school where 
they're going to learn how to be good people and kind and decent and show others respect. Mm. <laughs> Because you want them to live good lives. You want them to live a life of meaning where they can look back at 85 and say, I contributed, I did something. Mm. Um, and all of us as adults should be trying to make kids <coughs> like that into mm. good people. Um, and yeah, as I say, it can both be the case that you should give respect automatically to an adult, but that you should be behaving in such a way that gains respect from people mm. and that you can disagree in a way that demonstrates respect. Mm. I actually think one of the things that would um, make the world an instantly better place is if we were more open with disagreements. What do you mean? I.e., um, we will thrash out an argument and vehemently disagree, and I won't judge you for it or try and get you cancelled for it or get personal on you or troll or hate you. I just, I will roll and embrace the disagreement. I might even learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the world would be a better place if we were better at disagreeing? Yes, absolutely. So, like, in, in our school, I have uh, what's called a candor chart, <laughs> which um, has everybody's name on it in the staff room, and you get stars, you give yourself a star, somebody else can give you a star if you've been candid with somebody. So, and my point is, when you're working with people, you're always going to annoy each other because that's just the nature of working with people. And most of the time it's misunderstanding. You came into my room and you disrupted my lesson, blah, blah, blah. So let's say you went and asked him a question, the economics teacher. Yeah. Let's say you worked here. Mm. You would then go back to him and you'd say, okay, I need to be candid. You really annoyed me when you sent me out of your lesson. And he could say, but you really annoyed me because you were asking me a question because I don't think it was reasonable to ask me in front of the, in front of the kids. Mm. And the two of you would come to an agreement about what, you know, whether that was appropriate or not. And then you would go to the staff room and you'd each give each other a star. And then tomorrow we've got our reward event uh, for the kids. It's the last day of term. And then we're going to have our lunch with all the staff. And I'm going to give chocolate to the to people top, second and third on the candor chart who has the most stars. Right. So it creates a culture where people are far more honest with each other rather than you going away and going, I hate him, he didn't answer my question. And him thinking, yeah, what an idiot coming and asking me a question in front of the kids. Um, yeah. The two of you then sort it out. Mm. And that's what you're saying. When you have a disagreement with somebody and they, it's all the time, people are annoyed by things that other people do. Yeah. The best thing you can do is just go and say it and sort it out. Mm. Well, in that instance, I, wanna, I didn't name him obviously because I don't know him, but I feel like I need to defend your teacher to a certain degree. I wasn't really commenting on him. I was commenting on w I was triggered. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, yeah, because I don't like being told no. And I was being inquisitive and patient. And I thought I had a very valuable question. I waited until the right moment. So I would agree with you in the sense that he has not, he has not done anything wrong. He's holding his class like he should. And like you said, I didn't know there's three people a day, a thousand people a year that come. Yeah. <laughs> He's got yeah. to have a rule. Yeah. So I was, yeah, it was more like if we did that more, like instead of, let's say you triggered me for something, instead of me going, why, you're wrong. Yeah. Why don't I look inside and go, well, why was I triggered? Oh, it's because I'm a re rebel and I don't like being told no. Oh, so it was nothing to do with him. Oh, okay. On we go. Yeah. Yeah, no, indeed. Indeed. Well, that's why we have that candor chart, so that people can then find each other and say, you know what, actually, da 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 da. And then you find out, mm. you know. Um, and you then learn, because if you were working here, you'd say, okay, you know what, I won't come in next time. But what I'll do is I'll keep my question till, till after the class, and then yeah. I'll come and ask you, you yeah. know. And, and then he says, yeah, great. Mm. And then you're friends again, yeah. you know. Yeah.
So um, my dad was 79 yesterday and I was having dinner with him and I sat next to him and he's had a really hard life and it, not, no one ever thought he'd live beyond 50. Right. And, and he's just not going to go. And, <laughs> and I'm just so grateful that, you know, I'm sat there with him. And um, Harry and I were talking about respecting the car and um, my kids are definitely um, more free with the cheek to me. And if I'd have said anything to my dad, I'd have got smacked. And um, I was scared of my dad. And I love my dad and I don't think he's done anything wrong ever. But man, he has given me some beatings. <laughs> do you think in any instance <coughs> smacking children is OK or the right thing to do? Well, I mean, each family needs to do what they feel is right. You know, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm against smacking. You know, I'm not one of these people who says you mustn't ever smack your kid. But obviously there is a smacking and they're smacking. So obviously, you know, I'm imagining it's just a quick smack and that's it, you know. The thing is, if you are going to smack a kid, it really needs to be something that's quite predictable. Any kind of punishment that you give a child, they need to know this is predictable, this is what happens, I've been naughty. Mm. As opposed to it just being unpredictable and the, the parent is out of control. So... You need to be in control of that situation mm. as opposed to, I'm so angry, yeah. Rah, right, you yeah, know, yeah. that is, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, even if you're not smacking your child, that's crazy because the child is then terrified of you, right? I mean, my father, because uh, he's from the Caribbean and it was pretty standard in the Caribbean to hit your kids, uh, he had a long wooden ruler that um, he used to take out and he would whack us with that. But it was definitely a very controlled situation, you know? We understood, and he would go marching towards that cupboard where the ruler was, and my sister and I would scramble away trying to hide, you know. Now, uh, it, was, it was a very, it was an understood rule, it, you know. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, people who do end up smacking their children, and I really don't think it's necessary. Uh, I don't think it's necessary. As I said, I wouldn't say you mustn't ever smack, and, I, you know, and if somebody smacked their kid, I wouldn't be calling social service services or anything. Um... But I, I do think it's not necessary. And I do think, sadly, if people do it, it's often just out of frustration and in the kind of chaos. So that suggests to me you should never do it mm. uh, because it's, it, it, it's not done in the right way. Mm. Um, what all families need is um, a system of praise and punishment, just like we have at school, you know? Yeah. We have merits and demerits. You could even have that at home if you wanted. But there needs to be a sense of you've done the right thing. Brilliant. Here's an M&M. Or here's a, you get to go out with your friends this weekend or whatever it yeah. is. Or no, you've done the wrong thing. Therefore, I'm going to follow through with this punishment. And that the kids know that. And that you do it in love. You say, look, I'm doing my job here as your mom, as your dad. I've got to do this because I've got to show you the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And that you narrate to them why it is you're expecting this behavior of them and what you expect them to do, you mm -hmm. know? Um, that will, that will take you a lot further than a, than a smack, mm. you know? So while I'm not standing against it, I don't think it's necessarily the best idea. Um, the, what's much better is having a system of praise and punishment you're really clear about, that the kid is clear about, they know what your expectations are, that you praise them loads when they get it right, and that you punish when they get it wrong. Mm. Um, and the praise bit is really important because if they don't know what good looks like, then you want to praise them so that they do that again and again and again, you know? Mm. Yeah. So you had Jordan Peterson 
come around your school. I understand he requested the invite to come. And then there was a lot of flack for it that you took. What did you think about all that? Um, it was insane. <laughs> <laughs> it was completely insane. I mean, I, oh, I'm obviously just a bit dim. I mean, I tweeted this photo. I didn't really think much of it. You know, I tweeted the photo because I thought, well, he's a psychologist and I don't, I don't know. I suppose I didn't realize how much he was hated. I don't know. I just tweeted it saying, look who's in our school. They went crazy, safeguarding. I mean, they went mad. In the end, not only did they go mad on Twitter, but um, I had a call from the council uh, wow. saying that Ofsted had been contacted many times by, because of this visit, and they had to ask me questions. But what that, were they accusing him of? Well, they were accusing me. They weren't accusing him. Oh. They, were, they were accusing me of uh, putting children in danger. How is... Jordan Peterson being here, putting them in danger. Well, and his wife. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't just him. It was him and his wife. Um, well, they, they not just, okay, so there was a safe, they contacted their people in safeguarding. They would contacted their people in prevent, the people who deal with terrorism, right? And then they were coming through now to just, they, they, feel, they felt that it wasn't, they, they thought maybe it wasn't a problem, but they needed to interview me to be sure that I wasn't compromising the kids. And yes, you might say, but he's a Canadian psychologist who's written a few books and does podcasts. I mean, what is the big deal? Um, the thing that is um, so concerning is that uh, truth doesn't matter anymore, right? Because that's the truth. He's a Canadian psychologist who's written some books. The, 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 what they want to believe is that he's actually a safeguarding concern for kids. And why is he a safeguarding concern? Because they've deemed him one because they don't like the things he says. They don't like his books. Well, by all means, don't like his books. But let's not exaggerate and pretend that he's a danger to children, which he clearly is not. Um, and what was so crazy? I mean, he just came to the school. He wandered around. He saw some lessons. He ate lunch with some kids and then off he went. It was like no big deal. Yeah, I mean, honestly. And of course, we get a thousand visitors every year. So he was one of those thousand, you know. They don't seem to complain about all the other thousand. And also, who knows what the other thousand think? I don't interview everybody before they come here to find out whether or not their views are acceptable, according to Catherine Birbel saying. Frankly, loads of people come, loads of woke people come here. You know why? Because there's loads of woke teachers out there and most of our visitors are teachers. I don't stop them from coming here. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're insane. And I, I, don't, I don't really know what else to say. It was absolutely insane. Um, but those people genuinely think that they were right in reporting us to Ofsted. Wow. So I could stay here all day, but you're obviously... <laughs> very busy person. So I'm going to ask one more question, then we'll do a quick fire to finish. Okay. This is selfishly my favourite question. Okay, I can't as wait an, to hear it. As an entrepreneur. Right. I would love to know how you went from being cancelled to building your own school, how you raised the finance, how you got through all the red tape and the pol politics and, you know, how you mobilised everything to, to build this very disruptive... Um, valuable enterprise that you have yeah so could you take us through that journey okay well um it's not as impressive as you think because i didn't have to raise finance as it were and you you real entrepreneurs which i am not uh have to do that um but as i was saying i was kicked out essentially i was then just trying to figure out how to do you know how to survive 
I decided to set up a free school. I had to get a group of people. Now, what you guys don't have to do is deal with as much red tape as I have to deal with. So, as in public sector. Yeah, yeah. The public sector. I mean, it's you don't have any. You don't. You don't realize. I'll just hate to be in that. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we. You know, you have to. You have to fill out like hundred pages. You know, you have to write up an application form. You then send it in to the Department of Education. You get a bunch of people together. You have to tick some boxes to have you have, have certain skills. You go for a panel interview. If they approve you, which they did, but all of this takes months and months, um, then they start helping you try and find a building. The reason why it took us three and a half years to find the building is because different councils blocked us. So we tried to open up in Lambeth. They blocked us. We wanted to, uh, there was an old school there. It was ready, ready to walk right in. They said that they were interested. They would say, you know, lefty councils would say, we care about the disadvantaged. We want to give them a, 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 a step up and so on. Well, here we were wanting to give these mums another. And I say mums because there were lots of mums in Brixton Market. I would go around giving out flyers about our school. And they would say, oh, wow. They would hold it with both hands. A new school. So interested. Really want to come. But of course, Lambeth blocked us. Now, before we were blocked in Lambeth, I remember we had a parents evening. Uh, we had to hire a bouncer because there were so many threats of violence towards us. There were people protesting outside with banners and this, posters. This just all sounds so exciting. Well, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. It was like level of Jordan Peterson's insanity. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they've got all these posters, you know, Tory teacher out, you know, all this kind mm. of madness, shouting abuse at me as I'm walking in and calling me names. Then we went in. It was in a pub. One of the, one of the steering group, had a, he, he ran this pub. And so we were in the garden. We had all these seats and all these mums from Brixton Market came and these people who were there simply to, dis to disrupt, who'd been bussed in, by the way, not one of them was from London. They'd all been bussed in from out of London. So they're not part of the community. Mm. They're not people who want a new school for their children. They sat amongst the mums. And then when we would try and speak, they'd get up and shout at us and shout us down to make us be quiet, essentially. So we did our best then. We then had to move to another council because that council blocked us. So then we went to another council to try and open up. There, I remember doing a meeting. Some woman came in and started shouting at us. And she said, you betrayed us when you spoke at the Conservative Party conference. And I thought, I don't even know who you are. How could I betray you? But of course, black woman works in the inner city, state school. How could I, dare I, speak at the Conservative Party conference? You know, that's unacceptable. Um, so... Yeah, I had a very hard time trying to open. I remember once when we were at, when we were at a parents' evening around here, actually, um, there were people protesting outside, and they were handing out these leaflets saying that the only reason why the school was going ahead was because I knew the Prime Minister. That was David Cameron at the time. I have to say, I, I've never met David Cameron. But they were telling all the families that I knew David Cameron, but it all backfired on them because all the families said, she knows the Prime Minister. <laughs> she must be really important, you know? So we eventually got this building. You know, I'm cutting a very long story short. Um, and then we, have, we, we started this in beginning of 2011. We opened in September 2014. Uh, so when I say we didn't have to get the finance, once you're approved through the system, the finance comes from central government. Mm. So central government bought this building for us. But then the real uh, kind of uh, innovation comes from what we decided to do here. So we thrive. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we, we, I held that in for about an hour. <laughs> um, you know, we, we threw out the rule book. We just decided we were going to do things differently. And was there resistance from the system on that? So 
so because we're a free school, we had a little bit more freedom. Free school, that's the idea. But what's interesting is that uh, when you're a free school, they send you an Ofsted inspector regularly to come and look just to kind of tell you whether you're on the right track. And there's also your link person from the Department for Education who comes and they come together. So we had about four visits before we actually had our real uh, Ofsted inspection. And they would beg me. They would say, you've got to write a three-year plan. You've got to write a, a self-evaluation form. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And, um, and I said, no, I'm not doing it. I've got things to do. I've got kids I've got kids to teach. I've got a school to run. I'm not wasting my time on that. And they kept begging me. And I remember her saying to me, listen, Catherine, you could get anywhere from a one to a four in terms of the classification. And we really, really want you to get a one. And I said, first of all, if we could get anywhere from a one to a four, then there's something wrong with the system. Like, that's just ridiculous. And I said, and me writing a few documents, is that really going to make the difference? Well, if that's the case, there's something wrong with the system. I'm here for the kids. I'm not here for Ofsted. I'm not interested. And I did what I wanted. And they thought I was crazy. Now, in the end, Ofsted came and did give us a one. But I'm fully cognizant of the fact that the, we could have got, got, got a four. It so happens that those inspectors were open-minded enough to look at what they saw and think, wow, we're really impressed, you know? Um, so I, I just don't buy into any of that stuff that's part of the system. I reject it. I reject Ofsted, you know? And despite the fact that we've got an outstanding on Ofsted, I still reject Ofsted because, um, because I know that there's no perfect system. And that, yes, I understand that Ofsted um, at least gives people some kind of idea. But the problem with the system of Ofsted is that heads are then always working towards what does Ofsted want? What does Ofsted want? And unless you have somebody that's a little bit crazy like me who says, no, I'm not doing what Ofsted wants, they're not able to do what's right for their school. That's the problem there. And it's, again, you're caught in a web. Because I kind of get why Ofsted exists. Because from the government's perspective, they think that we need to have some kind of inspectorate to hold schools to account. So I get it. And there's like, there's no way out, you know? So we've done things very differently. We now get a thousand guests a year. Most of them are teachers. We are having real impact through demonstrating to people what's possible, you know, in terms of what kind of classroom you can have, the, how happy the kids can be, how engaged the learning can be and so on. Um, so, and we've done things that are pretty unpopular and I've taken a lot of heat for, you know, but you know, like I say, I want to reach the age of 85 and be able to look back and say I contributed, you know? Mm. And this school contributes, and I'm really proud of that. Should we do a quick fire then? Okay. So, look, you can answer this however you want, um, but 15 to 30 seconds normally works for this round. Okay. Uh, right. You mean 15, 30 seconds per question? Yeah, presumably. for the answer, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did something happen to you when you were younger that created a void you're filling now with this school and your mission? A void? I don't think I have a void, but I was one of those kids who was quiet and always wishing that the teacher could just make the rest of the class behave. So, but it's not about when I was at school. It's the, my years of teaching in schools, my years of watching children fail, children who were bright and capable and lovely. They just needed some order and structure in their lives. And we are so letting them down. And they are most often the disadvantaged kids. They're the ones who pay the price. And that's why, you know, schools need to have discipline. In this changing society, are boys more lost and confused than ever? Yes. And from what I understand, it's because, well, I would say everybody needs purpose to be happy. But apparently, it's quite a male trait. If you don't have purpose in your life, it, you really can't find happiness. And I think, I mean, this isn't a very popular opinion, but 
we've all been feminized too much, and boys can then be pushed down the wrong road in terms of what they're meant to be. That's why they all love Jordan Peterson because he says, "Pull your shoulders back, stand up straight," which is exactly what we're telling our kids to do. Three, two, one, and slap. Saw That's that. What we I, I even did that. Pull in your the shoulders lunch. back, yeah. right? So. Jordan Peterson is loved by all those young men because he's giving them some direction and everybody attacks him for it because he's got men who follow him. Well, good for Jordan Peterson, you know? Um, those men do need some direction. And when I say we've been feminized, what I mean is the, the stuff that women really value has been prioritized perhaps over what men value. If you ran the entire education system, every single school, free reign, how would the country be different? That's a good question. Because people often say things like, you should be Secretary of State for Education and everything would change. And I always think, I'm not sure it would change. <laughs> and um, that's because we're all caught in this web. Now, what I would do is I would find some individuals who I know are out there now who do a great job. I put them in a van with a whole load of resources and I'd get them to go around and spend a week at each school. And I'd, I'd really try to, you know, like take the education system by storm. And that's on, on the ground, in a van, <laughs> going to schools, right? The, the policies, who cares? You know, I, you need to put people in a van. <laughs> and you need to go to those schools and you need to show them what's possible. And I'd get tons of them coming here because those people would go and they'd say, go and see Michaela. And they'd go and see Michaela. And there are a few other schools out there like us as well who are doing you know, things differently. I'd send them to those schools too. And um, I'd get people to question what they think is the unquestionable. You know, what I always find so funny is that the people who are always talking about teaching the kids to be critical thinkers, they're not critical thinkers themselves. You know, I mean, if they thought for a moment, they think to themselves, well, actually, look at Catherine. She's, she's taken education and turned it upside down. So. That is what we need. It, things need to be turned upside down in many places. And uh, you can only do that on the ground, you see? Uh, and that's why I put people in a van and get to various schools. But I mean, I know that sounds slightly mad, but I am slightly mad. <laughs> <laughs> why are teachers not paid more? Uh, well, I don't think they're paid that badly. Um, I mean, look, it used to be the case when I first started in teaching, uh, less than 40 billion a year was spent on education. It's now close to 100 billion a year. Um, over those labor years, I mean, one thing that needs to be said, you know, in, uh, you know, I admire labor for over that time from 1997 to 2010, is that they pumped a lot more money into education and salaries went up enormously. Um, now, they went up enormously and that was great, but weirdly, results didn't change that much our PISA results pretty much stayed the same, you know? Now, they changed since Gove. Our results have changed in terms of PISA results. Our reading, you know, internationally is much better because, of course, phonics started happening across the country. So what that shows is that the power of ideas is more powerful than the power of money. Now, that's not to say that money isn't worthwhile, right? So I'm always wanting more money here. Um, but you got to have somewhere where you cut off in terms of teaching. Um, maybe they should be paid a little bit more. Who knows? Uh, I'm not one to judge that so much. Why they're not paid more? Well, there's only so much money that the state can pay out to all to its nurses, its doctors, its teachers and so on. Um, otherwise, we need to raise everybody's taxes. Um, what's more of a shame? 
I mean, yes, maybe they could be paid more. But what's more of a shame is why are bad ideas proliferating? You know, that could we make schools better without raising the funds? Yes, is the answer to that. And would teachers be much happier if we dealt with the poor behavior and the huge amounts of bureaucracy? Yes. So I think sometimes we get distracted by the conversation around pay when so much else is much more important. Are private schools worth the money? Oh, that's a big question. So I would say that private schools are nowhere near as good as people think they are. Um, I think there are a lot of, there's a lot of poor teaching in private schools. And I think the main thing that they have over the state schools is that they're selective. And when you select, especially when you're select, one, they're all selective because you, you, you can't go unless you can pay. And you might say, oh, there's three kids that have a scholarship, fine. But generally speaking, you have to pay. So you're cutting out most of the population. But the second thing that many private schools are is they're selective in terms of how clever you are. You know, there's a test to get in. And when you've got some very uh, bright uh, kids with tiger moms who have money, I mean, you could never teach them at all and they'd still do fine because the parents are still going to hire them tutors and they'll just be fine. And the thing is, is that when you're judging those private schools by how much, how many nines they got at GCSE, that's a load of nonsense. I, there, there ought to be a different test for those kids, right? Because you're not comparing like with like. Now, look, if you're in an area with some terrible state schools, then yes, it's worth the money to go to the private school. But I would argue that there are some state schools that are better than quite a number of private schools. What do you think about homeschooling? Uh, I think it's a great idea. So I would certainly go homeschooling before sending a kid to a private school. Um, now that's if you can afford it, right? Yeah, obviously, one parent needs to stay home. Often it's the mum. And what a wonderful opportunity she has to bond with her child or children and learn stuff herself. And people say, but the child will never be socialized. Well, you take them to orchestra and to sports clubs and so on. So it's perfectly doable. Um, I think I have great admiration. A lot of American families that do that. Uh, I have huge admiration for those families. Um, it sort of depends. If you feel you have a good school nearby, then send them to that good school. If you don't, then consider homeschooling. And the reason why I admire those parents is that they care enough to homeschool their children. I think too often parents just say, send them to the local school. And they don't really think about what the teaching is like. I know there are families that will send their kids here to other local schools. They've never even been to visit the school. And I just think, how are you sending your child to a school? You never even visited it. You don't know what it's like. You know, people in the West, not in the East, because the East, they think differently. The people in the West don't realize that a school will help to form what kind of adult your child is going to be. Your child's moral formation doesn't just take place at home. It takes place in the school. And so you better choose that school wisely. But too many parents, I think, don't invest enough in that decision process when they're thinking about which secondary school to send their child to. Would you ever consider adding a third changing room in your school for gender neutral, non-binary or transgender kids in addition to the male and female changing rooms or the boys and girls? Yeah, well, we don't have any changing rooms. So, um, Toilets. If they have sport, <laughs> yeah. they come in their sports uniform yeah. on the day. Um, well, we already have some individual toilets uh, that are separate. So there is that option if that were to happen. Uh, but we haven't come across that just yet.
Do you think Andrew Tate is a positive role model for young men? I don't know enough about him. So I, I did see part of an interview once, um, but uh, yeah, I know people really don't like him. But then when somebody is not liked, I always think, well, maybe they're all right. <laughs> you mm, know? Because they're often loved by a lot of people. Yes. Jordan, Dr. Jordan Peterson's loved by a lot of people. Yes, but Jordan Peterson isn't rude. <laughs> I think Andrew Tate is quite rude, isn't he? Um, he's more blunt, yeah, yeah. M- more blunt and, yeah, some crass, direct, crass. disrespectful language some people might perceive, yeah. Yeah, and so I don't like that, you yeah. know, you're wise, your woman, your wife is a wise woman, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like that because I don't think that my young men should be listening to that kind of language. Because the problem with that kind of language, publicly used, so it's one thing you're with your friends in the pub, it's different, but being public like that is that it makes you seem cool and hard and I'm the man. Mm. And that is not what makes a man, right? What makes a man is a man who can go out and work for his family. The man, a man brings home the bacon. Which he is also you know? very much teaching, by the way. Okay, yeah. but then he needs to stop swearing and he needs to stop being crass. It's the crassness, you know? Like, stop being like that, you know? He needs to come and attend a, you know, a year at Michaela and I can <laughs> get him into shape, you know? Mm. Um, he, he needs to teach, you know, being a man is not being like that. And I worry about my boys who look at the gangsters in their, well, they're not gangsters, but they pretend to be gangsters in the, you know, in the videos and so on, the rap artists, mm. etc. The drill, the grime, the, the insulting women. Mm. I mean, the, could you argue people like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson are much better role models than those gangsters? Yes, although I don't know Andrew Tate well enough to yeah, be able to I, I, say don't, I don't think he's popping caps in people's Right, right, like right. No, no, no. Yes. But, I mean, Jordan Peterson is an amazing role model. You know, I think he's fantastic. I can't say so about Andrew Tate because he's too crass and too rude. Mm. If he was to stop all of that, then yes. I also don't like the lifestyle that he promotes. I don't like this lifestyle of I'm a rich guy and look at me and I've got all these women and look at me. I mean, I just. I <laughs> you can't sound stand like you can play it well the way you did that perfectly. <laughs> I just can't stand that. You know, when I think about my teachers, let me think about one of my teachers right now and describe him. You know, he's a history teacher and he's, he's never going to earn a fortune. He's a decent, good guy, turns up to work every day and his wife is pregnant and he's so excited about that. Can't wait to see his new child. He will never cheat on her. He will always be faithful and decent. And he spends his days helping our boys grow up into men like him, you know? That is what I admire. Andrew Tate, not so much. <laughs> We're going to do a quick would you rather round to finish. Would you rather have Piers Morgan or Katie Hopkins run your school for a whole day and you're not allowed to be here? And why? Uh, Piers Morgan, definitely. Um, I mean, I've been on his show. He's, he's an, I think he's a nice guy. Mm. I like him. Um, yeah, I saw you on the show. Oh, it. right, yeah. right. He's a... Uh, you know, I think he's a decent guy. I think I'd probably have to pick up the pieces after he'd been running it for a day. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying he'd do a good job, but I like him. Mm. I'm not so sure I'm a fan of Katie Hopkins. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather remain head of this school with unlimited budget or run the entire Department of Education? Oh, my goodness. You could say run this school without an unlimited uh, depart- uh, budget. Run the school with no budget at all. 
I would choose that over running the Department for Education. Oh, my goodness. But could you make more of an impact there? Or is that no. what you're saying? You can't. Remember what I said. I put people in vans and we go out on the yeah. ground. Running the Department for Education? Absolutely not. I am never going to be a politician. I cannot stand any of that. There is no way. Because you, you can make very little difference, right? You make a difference. I make a difference here because not only are we making a difference to our kids, but people come and they see mm. and they change. You know, I go to conferences. I do podcasts. I talk about what's necessary. You change things on the ground. You never change things from up there. Mm. Would you rather take 50 million cash now and walk away from education and go and retire and live the dream or stay what you're doing on a humble salary and carry on with your mission? Yeah, definitely the second one. I mean, what do people do with 50 million or 10 million? I don't know. They buy a couple of yachts. I have no interest in having a yacht. I can't buy an expensive car. I don't drive. I live in a place around the corner from school. I love my job. I, I work with people who I admire. I work with people who I think are just great. And you know why? Because they have a moral core to them. Because they believe in something. Because they turn up every day and they deliver for those children. And we change the lives of those kids. And we change the lives of teachers all over the place who, who learn from us and who change things in their classrooms, which then has impact on their kids. You want to get to 85 and be able to turn around and say, I contributed. What are you going to do with 50 million? I mean, I suppose you could give it to some charities. I, you know what I would do? If I had that 50 million, I'd be setting up some schools. I would just want to recreate this. Mm. So, like, if I do that option, I'm just going to do this option. Like, mm. it's the same thing, because I will just end up trying to create a situation where I can just recreate the school. Mm. So, final question. If you have your way, full autonomy, everyone has to do what you say, how different will the education system look in 10 years and, you know, what things, three things might have changed? Well, they wouldn't just do what I say. You see, you have to win hearts and minds. So I'd have to like be able to wave a magic wand and make them believe well, certain things. All the politics and red tape disappeared, let's say that, and anything you actually wanted to implement, you could make it happen. But it's not the red tape that's stopping people. It's their hearts and minds. It's because they don't believe in this stuff. But you just said the web and the education system because of the web. Yeah, but that's not the red tape. It's their hearts and minds that are in the web. Right. So their hearts and minds are caught in thinking... We must decolonize. Okay. If we do not decolonize, then we are bad people, right? So you have their hearts and minds. Oh. Yep, you have their hearts and right. minds. How does the education system look different in 10 years? Okay, so we're all teaching British history and British geography and so on. We're teaching English and maths and science and we're teaching it really well. Teaching it really well, meaning we are the authority in the classroom. We're leading from the front. Um, we have great behavior. Why? Because we have behavior systems that we're not embarrassed about or awkward about. We understand that disciplining kids is to be on their side and to love them. Um, and that when you let them off on things, that is to expect less of them. That we push them to their absolute limit. Um, that we use our money wisely that we're given in schools. And we use it wisely so that we're not then feeling that we can't afford to do X, Y, and Z. But then because the system is better and because the behavior is better, there are more teachers coming into the system and then staying in the system. And they're staying because they're happy, because they have purpose in their lives, because they can see the impact of what they do every day on their children. Because right now, people come and they leave. Why? Because there's crazy behavior and crazy amounts of bureaucracy. That's the other thing. Cut out the bureaucracy. So I would abolish Ofsted and I would make it so that 
But you see, I have their hearts and minds. So I would just shazam, make everybody understand <laughs> that great behavior systems and great authority and teaching in the classroom is what works. And then most importantly, the values. You know, that everybody would understand that small c conservative values are what children need in order to be able to make a success of their life, lives. And, um, but that's some magic wand is all I can say. <laughs> that is some magic wand. But I'd love to have it. If you ever find that magic wand, you give it to me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, I sat in the lunch hall and um, listened to about 10 of your pupils giving their appreciation. And I would like to give you my appreciation for oh. inviting me to your school, <laughs> letting me do a tour, meet your children. And, I mean, I don't know if you know, but we've been going about two and a half hours here. What? Yeah. No wonder but Gita's having this a heart is, attack. Ah, well, this, we've, we had, well, I might come back with the money thing, but as far as we're concerned, we had one trip, so we're going to make the most of it. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Very inspiring. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.